Welcome back to another episode of The Adventure Tomes, uh, where we uh, look at stories that could be games and games that could tell stories. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Grant, and of course, with me is uh, my co-pilot, my other my other host, the the other co-equal double pilot. I don't I don't know. I don't want to make it. We're, we're we're teamed up, right? The other magical girl on the show, Paula. Hi, y'all. It's Paula. <laughs> it's your girl. I called you co-pilot, but. I made it, it made it seem like I was the pilot when I'm not. So Coco we're, pilot. Uh, we're both we're both Coco pilots. <laughs> I think is how it goes. <laughs> but uh, today, today we're going to be reviewing uh, a story that could be gamed. That being Magic Knights Ray Earth, the manga particularly. Woo! So that's exciting. Oh my god! I'm so happy I conned you into doing this. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I definitely brought the it up. Con. Yeah, I definitely brought it up when we were doing Record of Lotus Wars because of you know mm-hmm. that um, mixing of RPG fantasy series and um, for me. And you were talking about how Lotus was like such a life uh, like life changer as a kid and and things like that. Um, and I I was like, yeah, totally for sure. Lotus wasn't mm-hmm. my life-changing fantasy. Magic Knight's Ray Earth was. Um, right, right. And so giving you a little bit of background um, for those who um, may not have heard about Magic Knight's Ray Earth. Uh, Magic Knight's Ray Earth is a pretty much a quintessential magical girl shoujo genre um, series that follows... Three girls, Hikaru, Umi, and Fu, um, who get transported into modern girls in Tokyo, who get transported um, to this world called Sephiro on the behest of Princess Emerald, who calls upon mm. them to become the Magic Knights, these special uh, female warriors from another world, um, to mm. s- save their world of Sephiro. And a lot of um, advent, they the first half essentially of the story is them learn like very classic fantasy, very RPG inspired, where they get their mm-hmm. weapons, they get their magic, they power up. There's mini bosses along the way, and the story mm-hmm. that gets unraveled is that Princess Emerald needs to be quote saved from the evil priest Zagato, who used to be the head mm-hmm. priest of Sephiro, who has somehow betrayed Sephiro, um, and is trying to stop the magic uh, and his his I guess interference, so to speak has been the cause of why Sephiro, the, the, the world that they're in, is um, is now run amok with dangers and monsters that the Magic Knights have to try to stop um, Zagato and save the world from. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the end of that, so it kind of very much follows that very fantasy trope of like powering up girls and... Um, and magical girls because they go through a magical girl transformation, but it's all very fantasy themed mm-hmm. with like armor and le- weapons that level up. Very common rider, mm-hmm. very, <laughs> very Tokusatsu, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in that their weapons power up as they grow as characters. Um, with the ultimate power up of getting their rune gods, R U N E, rune yeah. gods, which is basically fantasy mecha. So these. Yes, which is. So, so good. good. <laughs> so it's mixing all these really cool genres, and um, 
And, you know, spoiler alert, at the end of like the first half of the story, they find out that it's not actually Zagato's fault, necessarily, that the Magical Knights hurt. The mm-hmm. whole point of the Magical Girl Knights, uh, Knights is because Sephiro is magically the world where um, whatever your heart wills it to be, will be. The stronger somebody's heart and will is, the stronger your magic is, the stronger your essentially agency in this magical world and mm-hmm. the strongest of mm-hmm. which becomes the pillar of the world and as the pillar you are responsible for basically like making sure the world doesn't suck you the sole pillar mm. is no pressure. responsible for making sure this world doesn't suck and right, emerald's right. quote sp- selfish desire and f- by falling in love with her high priest zagato and him falling in love with her threw her mm. into um i guess quote distraction and she couldn't forgive herself for not sacrificing her own selfish desires of being in love with this man and the only mm. the only basically because she is the pillar of the world princess emerald is the pillar of the world uh the only thing that can kill her is um warriors from another world hence the magic knights mm. So the whole point at the end of the story is that the Magic Knights has to go into the battle and kill Emerald herself. Mm-hmm. And, oh, God. <laughs> and that's just the first half of the story. The second half we'll get into, possibly the second half of this episode. But, like, mm-hmm. like what'd you think? It was It's, it's a series by <laughs> Clamp, C-L-A-M-P. They are a... Um, uh, they're a, essentially a, a, a manga circle, a circle of all women, mm-hmm. um, and they are basically like their whole line of manga is like you, you, you know them like they are to be studied in an academic sense. They have had such influence right, in right. Um, shojo and just the manga industry by just how like that particular circle itself. Incidentally, they're very much started, like most manga circles, started as a do- like they started making dodinshi, including one mm-hmm. for Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Nice. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, if you look into the history of like Clamp as just the manga, the mangaka like circle, like they're pro- they're literally very prolific um, in yeah. their works. Well, I guess the kind of the first off here, I am woefully underread in shojo and in, and underviewed. Um, I have read Sailor Moon and watched Sailor Moon. Uh, I'm currently rereading the um, Eternal Editions, really enjoying that. Um, and I've read. Does Azumanga Daio count as shoujo? Um, I don't know. No, like I would say slice of life more than shoujo, really. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like the vibe isn't the same. Uh, Rosa Versailles, yeah. another sort of t- uh, titular and important work. Um, but beyond that. Not enough of anything that I would say I've seen it, really. So this was not only really my first experience, not only one of my few big shoujo experiences, but also my first clamp. I've never read or seen anything by them. Um, it was really, really good. I loved it. Uh, it was it was terrific. I mean, even just, you know, it's one of those works where, like, even if you, for some reason, didn't enjoy every moment of what's going on, it, the the sheer art and the Mm -hmm. sheer craft on the page is just tremendous and um i think in keeping with the shoujo tradition and maybe i'm speaking out of turn but my very limited experience has shown that particularly in the manga form it's like there's very much a sort of dream logic to the flow of just the pages Mm -hmm. and stuff um it's less like here is a sequence of events 
you know, blow for blow what's mm-hmm. happening. It'll a lot of the pages and stuff are almost, I guess I would say, and this is a positive, very emotionally laid out in the sense of like a page might center on someone's face. Right. And like their feelings and all the panels are sort of like swirling around them. And it has this almost kind of like a music video Mm -hmm. vibe to how things happen and what's going on on the page. And it's a very evocative way. And I mean, there's like the the, the panels and the gutters and like the page layouts and stuff and the splash pages are just dynamite. Right. Because because there is a it feels like there's less of an emphasis on, say, like, you know, event A, event B, event C you know, moment to moment because it's very much like what is this character feeling in the moment or what are they, you know, thinking about or dreaming about, you know, it, it, the flow is just, there's a lot more freedom in terms of what's going on on the page because there's not such a need for like what is exactly happening in this kind of precision detail, you know, in like a concrete sense. So it's just like, I mean, the work is just gorgeous to read. It's just, and because it is an older work, I mean, you know, it was it was new when we were young, um, but it is now older. And just the style, like just the character designs mm-hmm. and everything are much more what I'm accustomed to. Characters have, you know, pointy features yeah, a little bit. Even, very sharp. You know, like the modern style. Yeah, like the modern look for most anime and manga in my experience. Again, there's so much out there now. I don't know if you can draw big conclusions. But the tendency, particularly in the more popular work, seems to be a much more like soft, kind of rounded like almost gooey yeah. like character yeah. features like everything is very round and soft very surreal um yeah but the, like the the you know what we grew up on right i mean this isn't quite like masami obari oh. drawing yeah. characters uh even though i still defend his character design too <laughs> um the characters have a lot of very pointed yes. features and very sharp uh, elements to them and I, I i like that i mean and every every single character you know it's like i mean it's i know it's drawn but it's like stage play kind of production like there's you don't really get too much a sense of the environments but the characters like the costuming and the you know every element of them is just designed so lavishly it's just a joy to see them and i really also like all the you know the fantasy elements and the all the like you know the ironically the like belief empowers and makes things real is something I'm of a trope I'm very familiar with. Warhammer forty thousand features that Does pretty it really? prominently. That's amazing. Obviously, oh yeah, yeah. One of the whole things is that like the warp is like this place where the more people believe in things and the more people, particularly their negative emotions, like those are personified into demons and that sort of thing. Oh, so it's wow, it's a trope yes. I'm very familiar with. Yeah, so like I'm like yeah. I this love totally how we vibes. were reading makes... the same thing, but like in two different, like way <laughs> different, like formats. Right. Yeah, it's like <laughs> slightly different. Oh god. <laughs> of, of filters there, but I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, every page was was a delight. Really great characters, and you know, it's like you never get bored if you're not being introduced to some brand new evil person in a cool dark cape, then you're getting to see the girls power up or get new weapons or discover something about themselves. Or, oh, they've got mechs and, oh, spaceships are coming from another dimension. Like, there's never not something yeah. happening. Um, it's really great. It's oh, terrific. God. Yeah, Clamp, Clamp in particular has such a good, like, just as a circle. I mean, the and you can tell um, who who kind of, like, took lead in the art. Like, uh, for Magic mm-hmm. Knights in particular, Mokona, like literally, there is the the art director for Clamp. His name is Mokona, who happens to be the little chubby god <laughs> <laughs> in the world. Um, oh gosh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, 
I mean, I know I said we're probably going to have to episode, but I feel like I have to explain because the second half of Magic Knight's Way Earth is kind of the, is the consequences of them defeating Emerald, Um And now mm-hmm. there's no pillar for Sephiro. And the second half is literally just the consequences of not having the pillar system in Sephiro. And it, it puts in so much, so much, oh God, the second half of Magic Knight's Way Earth is like, or never read even before this, um, a series that dealt with the consequences of a major like action, really like, mm-hmm. um, like even Sailor Moon, it like in Sailor Moon, it just like progresses to the end game. There wasn't really like, no one really like sat down and like talked about. Well, the last part of Sailor Moon. Anyway, that, I'm getting beside myself. <laughs> I mean, like, but like the second half of Magic Knights or Earth is just like now with no pillar system, all these other um, players from outside of Sephiro wants to um, mm-hmm. uh, utilize and use Sephiro's pillar system, and they really do call it a system, mm-hmm. like a system of government. But it's like you know, one person's will upholds right. the entire like nature of literally the world that they're in which is wild um, sure which can be argued that's how institutions work um i mean you know <laughs> um <laughs> and so uh all these other players come in and you just see like the inter like i love how like it turns into like a major battle between all these systems and and it comes down to what do you hold in your heart that makes it strong enough to uphold this new system or this this system in in a sense um and it comes down to two different people um eagle uh, eagle vision and hikaru are fire red um main character magic knights and oh mm-hmm. god and at the end like it you also find out like mokuna like the little cute little like bunny mascot of the whole mm-hmm. little, the mascot little mascot of this whole series. Yeah. This cute little thing is literally a god <laughs> <laughs> that not just created Sephiro the world, but created like the prime material plane of Earth of Tokyo, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like oh my god. Okay, art one, and I feel like as Clamp since Mokuna Apapa is or Mokuna because. Uh, they officially changed her name to Mokona, like legally, <laughs> as the art director. I'm all like, I think she's pretty right in saying that, yes, I am the god of this because I direct all the art for all of Clamp's. <laughs> all of Clamp's work. Uh, and this is the ultimate power move to just... Yeah. I am the author. Yeah, I am I god. Am god. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, I... I I love when women get to be unapologetically women. <laughs> like, like yes, just be a person. Consider yourself a god in the this gorgeous art piece that you've created with your circle. Right, right. <sighs> you burned it, <laughs> man. Um, but yeah, so like, I guess a little bit in terms of ma- like Magic Knights Way Earth, like I. I, I said I conned you into it in that when we were talking about <laughs> making this show, I was like, we, um, this is something I definitely have to bring up because there's so much like even like RPG mm-hmm. like experience I've had with Magic Knights in particular. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, you know, <laughs> I was like, what do we want to do for the next episode? Here, let me just purchase this for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Send it to you. <laughs> we're doing this. 
<laughs> there was also a gun inside. It's like point at yourself and then no. No, it was most like I love how it was coy about it too. And I'm all like, oh, we don't have to. You can read it whenever you want to. It's mm-hmm. like, I guess we're doing this. Okay, good. I manipulated you well. Um, <laughs> so I know your first experience was me literally shipping the books to you a few months ago. Yes, and be like, um, whoa. <laughs> My experience of Magic Magic Nights by Earth is like some girls, maybe not most girls, maybe most girls, uh, in the early 90s, grew up with Sailor Moon, um, got into high school being like the biggest Sailor Moon fan in the fucking universe. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One of many. Um, Big Ronin Warriors fan, loved all that. Big Power Rangers fan. Um, Mm -hmm. I get into high school. I went to an all-girls high school. Um, and was in choir and living my good choir life. And one mm-hmm. of the um, juniors in my choir, uh, like we just, you know, started talking and she was like my hero because she was like coding, like hand coding websites and making them look cute. And oh. like if now that we kind of understand that there's like the thing is like, you know, embracing your uh, femininity and tech and stuff like that. Like, you know, pink mm-hmm. mice is a th- you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like hand coding websites into these gorgeous like um, fans, like web ring circles with like anime and magical girls and all that stuff. Totally looked up to her. And she handed me, she's like, oh, you like Sailor Moon? Here's Magic Knights Ray Earth. Here's the first three books. And then come mm-hmm. back to me. And the first three books is that first half. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, she was smart. Um, she, so she gives me the first three books. which is the first omnibus um, in the new omnibus edition, um, like that part one. And I get to the end of part one <clears throat> with that twist ending. Yeah. Devastated. Absolutely <laughs> devastated. And, and I really like went back the next day and handed her the books. I'm like, that can't be the end. That's how it ends. And she's like, here's the other half. And I'm like. <laughs> she got you. Got me. Got me so Hooks much. in you. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, and Magic Knights Ray Earth was like totally different from what I experienced watching Sailor Moon. Because Sailor Moon eventually has like, a, you know, a progression. And it, it does at the very end with uh, Galaxia. It's like what happens. Again, you live long enough to see herself become the villain in Galaxia. Right. She was a sailor. Like. She was a guardian. She lost all her friends in this eternal battle with like a darkness that will never end. Evil will always exist. And she succumbed to that weariness and that trauma of losing her mm-hmm. own team, et cetera, et cetera, that she just turns it around and just wants to destroy everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it was about Magic Knights for Earth. I think it was the 100%. I had never seen... Um, I was... One of the books and articles I was reading... Um, was a beautiful fighting girl by uh, Saito Tamaki, and he is a Japanese psychologist and mm. um, researcher, and really talked about how from Sailor, like I'm gonna read the little snippet here from Sailor Moon to Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, the worlds of Japanese anime and manga, team with like prepubescent girls and doting deadly weapons, right? And so mm. um, he kind of interprets this as um, it really is a weird complex. I mean, let's be honest, sexual fantasy. Um, And then, like, these magical girls are kind of like, you know, they're playing into these specific tropes of 
what it his exact words were like the power and uh like these girls in in like encompass hope and their their innocence is their power mm. right their hope in each other is their powers and like any obstacle they may overcome by the power of friendship like doesn't derive from like training or innate skill but essentially mm-hmm. the purity of their hearts mm. it's like it, that is the quintessential shoujo like quintessential right. um they're delicate they're fragile they're beautiful and it's not through martial training it's literally through the purity of their hearts which plays into very like um you know heteronormative patriarchal um values mm. um and saito tamaki um what was it? explains that like the subcultural forms that like I'm going to try to quote this uh, ex- <laughs> in Beautiful Fighting Girl Saito Tamaki explains that the subcultural forms seduce and bewitch us with their uncompromising superficiality they may not be able to portray the complex personalities um which interestingly enough in like a survey the re- like there is a survey where most um most people don't think like the the fetishization of like you know Japanese and Asian women make them not seem real because mm. they're playing into these like fantasy tropes mm. um, because they don't have they're not complex they're just innocent and pure and right right and the beautiful fighting girl still plays into that mm. like the shoujo fighting girl which you think might be like hey there's a lot of shoujo manga magical girl stories sometimes they're just like basically like you know common writer for girls they're powerful they're mm they're like they're superheroes and you think the perforation of that um kind of storytelling would mean that oh women have there's a very strong like view of like equity between genders because look there's you know equal amounts of girl featured um right stuff and i'm like no (laughs) totally the opposite they play exactly (laughs) into these things and so, you know, the main characters of Hikaru, Fumi, and Fu, and uh, specifically most shoujo girls, play into that fascinating, alluring type. And their enemy is almost always an authoritative older woman mm-hmm. that they fight, and a woman who be- behaves authoritatively. And I don't agree with it, but I'm that this is uh, Tamaki's like. Tamaki's words, not mine, but he calls it the phallic mother trope or the phallic mother symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's used to describe a woman who behaves authoritatively. Then um, the phallic mother symbolizes a kind of omnipotence and perfection. Mm. Um, and which you could, omnipotence and perfection is what you could use to describe, like, even the main characters, like, you know, Hikaru or Yusagi in Sailor Moon. Um mm-hmm. Because they're omnipotent, they can sense everything, and they're perfect women, um, in a sense. But the reason why it's heroic in main characters of shoujo manga, if you apply those two features to the young, innocent main characters, but those mm-hmm. two features are evil in full adult women, which is mm. wild. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what you want to call it? And it's threatening because God forbid, like women have the same agency and power as men do. Um, right. But like, it's basically like for um, Catherine Hemin, Hem, Hemin, Catherine Hemin, they are um, another professor 
um, for the University of Pennsylvania that talks about, um, you know, manga and the female gaze. Um, mm-hmm. Like for teenage female audience, like that kind of like danger in an adult woman's body is seen as both like frightening and kind of pathetic because this is a woman who's already past her prime, her anger mm-hmm. and frustration, like she can't change anything about it. And who is, and she has lost all her innocence and all her emotional clarity. Mm. Um, and, and like, you know, she can't like stuff like she can't have kids. Like that's why she's evil or like right. she's past marrying age and, or, or she's past marrying age and the man she loves doesn't love her back. Mm. And that plays a lot in shoujo series. The thing that made it so powerful in Magic Knight's Ray Earth was in shoujo manga series when they overcome those heroes. And it's cool. Like when you fight like the evil like oh, heroes, yeah. like villains <laughs> in like anime. And they'll eventually get defeated because they're the bad guys, right? Sure, it's sure. It's cool to see them like that. But in Magic Knight's Ray Earth, the fact that like one, the bag like Emerald becomes that phallic mother symbol by mm. turning into like a full grown adult body after Zagato dies. Mm. Um, and the Magic Knights still have to defeat her, and they do defeat her and they kill her. And in almost all like stories, that would just be it. Mm-hmm. Like, yay, we saved the day, we saved the thing. But the ending of that first half. Where they're all three of them are just hugging each other, horrified of what they just done. Mm. It one hundred percent gets to critique this whole like idea. Mm. And in the second half of Magic Knights, it's just the second half is just talking about we need this system sucks. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we've got to change it. And that mm. what what was absolutely blew my mind as a mm. teenager because mm-hmm. i have never seen that in any other shows that i was watching at the time right or at, books i was reading at the time and, is, and I some mean, of those books were like oh, urban sorry. fantasy and i should not have been reading them <laughs> <laughs> look is I'm there like, any oh a werewolf sex scene okay i totally understand what's happening is there any um you know greater youth experience than watching things you absolutely should not be watching um as yeah. i as i've mentioned on blt uh i saw golgo 13 the professional when i was 11 which is both Uh -uh. there's both impossibly not the right age to see golgo 13 but also precisely the right age to see golgo 13 (laughs) because the 11 year old mind is primed for something anyway um (laughs) but uh yeah no all that uh to kind of reiterate on some of all that i think there's echoes obviously i'm not as uh, well versed in the um academic aspect of shoujo studies but there's some <laughs> echoes there in quite a bit of collegiate study in like the realm of say fairy tales right and who yes you have you know these young people even if the protagonists are young women you know what do they often end up doing right classic kind of beauty and the beast stuff right what does she do mm-hmm. she, she takes this bestial man and reforms him right that's like her ultimate goal and who who do these you know, young princess types often end up going up against the wicked stepmothers and the witches, right? Older women right. with agency, right? That, yes. that they use their power, right? You know. Oh and, God, yes, totally. So there's there's echoes there, and I've I've seen a lot of interesting interpretations for why that is, but there's definitely um, there's that, that that's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Agency and and who's in the system and who de- who decides whether it's positive or negative, what have you. But there's echoes, and I think that kind of fairy tale emotional logic is 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 critical here too. With these shoujo tales, Absolutely. right? But, you know, in terms of just how they're paced, how things happen, 
um, which is, I think, critical to capturing the vibe for our later discussion about the game part. Um, I think that's definitely important. Um, and I think there's also an aspect, you know, and this is this happens a lot. I think you can also see it in the shonen or in, in most young coming-of-age stories, right? Like the, 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 the gaining of power when you're in your mid-teens, right? It's the ultimate, mm-hmm. you know, puberty metaphor, coming-of-age metaphor, um, and, and not being sure, to, you know, you're, you're suddenly being thrown into a much wider world where you have to decide who you are and find out who you are when you don't really know that. And you are, you know, too young to be an adult, but too old to be a child. And this, this, the tension in that space where you suddenly have to make all these decisions and suddenly define who you are, um, you know, quite often what a shonen protagonist end up doing, they end up saying, I'm fighting for my friends, my friendship, right? You know, very, very simple kind of baselines. And you end up, I think the appeal, I mean, I, I can't speak particularly, but I think some of the appeal for, say, like a magical girl kind of friend group element here, especially, you know, because they are, you know, actual schoolgirls. It's like, oh, who's the foo, who's the foo in our group? And who's the umi? And oh, you're totally, you know, Hikaru, uh, yeah. Hikaru, yeah, like, you know, oh, you're the this. And it's not even necessarily, like, it's not even that they're, like, the strongest or the smartest in school or in the world. It's just, you're the strong one in our friend group, right? There is, in yeah. your friend group, the strong one, right? You're the smart one in our friend group, right? So there, it's very easy to to take these kind of simple analogies and place your friends and yourselves in it, which makes it very relatable. And also it's very easy to see yourself in that scenario. And also because the characters are so simple, but also, especially when you're, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, like you're also a much simpler creature. You, you don't have much life experience. You may only really like, you know, no offense to the young folks out there, but it's like, I mean, you haven't had that much life experience. You're just a simpler creature overall. And you have a much smaller, yeah, there's just, there's just less going on. You don't have, you know, a messy backstory, you know, that, that someone who's 10 or 20 or 30 years older than you, you know, you you have aspirations and you have just vague unknowns and you're trying to kind of fill this space so the characters being simpler i think adds to that ability to, to attach yourself to it and and to be able to say oh you know they're just like me and i'm also confused and in this world and you know suddenly interacting with you know, i mean you think about even the you know one of the more common experiences in these tales um you know like being in school and going to school like even when you're say like in elementary school like you're, you're tiny all all adults are giants to you right but then as you get into middle and high school and stuff, like, like, you know, you and your friend group start to be as tall as the teachers even. And like, you're interacting with other adults because you start to drive and you have to go to your jobs and stuff. And it's so like that, that teenage space again, where you're like, you know, like it's, it is kind of weird. You're like, these, these are heroes who are like fighting adults to the death, but it's like, it, 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 there's those conflicts being mirrors for the conflicts in your life where you're starting to, you know, you go to school and you go to work and you, you know, all the, all these spaces where you're also interacting with an adult, but you're not also an adult yet like they are. Mm-hmm. So all that confusion and tension plays really well um, when the metaphors for that are giant robots and space lasers. I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why it just <laughs> grips you and you're like, yes, you know. Um, so I, I think that's, um, I think that's what makes it so compelling. And even for us as adults, like we remember that time and that confusion, but then, like you're saying, the, the fallout, I think, is important. Because obviously, even in Shonen, or especially in like uh, the mecha genre, right? Like, especially super robots, mm. like killing God, like deicide, that's always on the table. That's when you know you're approaching the final episode. 
when it's time to go kill God. Um, but this actually, that's only really the halfway point. Um, yeah. And now it's it's the sort of the, 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 the real tension, like the battle for succession, if you will. Um, or some of my favorite even comic book stories when you, you think about, you know, so the, the Cape comics and stuff in the U.S., some of the more compelling stories are like, okay, you know, Captain America dies or Superman dies or Batman dies or whatever. But like, what happens when other people try to take up the mantle? Suddenly yeah. you have all these characters recontextualized and stuff and it can get, that can almost become more engaging when those characters, than when they were alive. Mm-hmm. Right? Like what, what will the next era look like? And the battle to define that next era can be some of the best possible stories. So I think that's a really, really smart decision on their part. Um, and it's a way to, to broaden the cast, too. I mean, the, the cast, like, quadruples yeah, in the, in the second, second half. half <laughs> um, and really open up all the world-building stuff. Um, but in a way that makes sense. Like, if, if, if what's on the line is the power to create reality, um, everybody's going to want a piece of that. So, like, you know, and they're going to want it at all costs. So I, I think that's really smart. Um, but, yeah, so that's just kind of some thoughts that I had as we were sitting here yeah. talking about. <laughs> God, I'm, I was really happy. Like, I don't know why, but I have fallen through the hole of, like, various reaction videos. Oh, no. I don't know why. Oh, no. It's like, you know, people watch reality TV. I watch reaction videos. Someone has to have trash taste <laughs> in this party. Like, and it's me this time. Um, oh, no. <laughs> some friends Are watch The Bachelor. Are people negative on Rare? It, I think, and I know the reason why is also the reason why reaction videos are so popular. It's like sometimes you just want to see like your friend. Like I was so hyped when you started reading and posting like stuff online. <laughs> hyped. I've got more more memory to post. Yeah, and again, and and Clamp doesn't miss on the memory. Like Mokana's whole deal is like this is your god, but also a plushie. Um, <laughs> that made you a house randomly um but yeah it was like it was so i was so elated just watching like just seeing your tweets Mm. and your reactions from reading the (laughs) thing especially like you know i i mean i always loved it well this is why we're friends we behave uh your one piece tweets got me to read and watch one piece and post my own reactions to it um (laughs) <laughs> good, and good. and i think i told our mutual friend when, when donnie when we met up was like i have no idea how i was able to catch up all on both the manga and the anime of one piece and all of campaign one two and currently three of critical role <laughs> how length it's a herculean task yeah length in any media does not bother me anymore like absolutely <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> I've conquered all. Yeah. So what <laughs> and was... Paula wept for there were no more lands to conquer. Oh, uh, no more long meetings. I don't know. We'll see. Like, you like, can still watch. Uh, like once One Piece what, wraps up, Detective everyone... Conan. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Time for Detective Conan. <laughs> or uh, what is uh, Ashita no Joe is longer too, isn't it? Yeah. You can get into that. Oh, I've been meaning to <laughs> imagine. <laughs> That'd be fun. Um, so I guess, like, my question for you is, like, what was something that really, like, like I don't know if it's a panel or just a moment in the series that, like, made you go, holy crap, 
this is amazing. Oh, I mean, I was in from the from the jump. I mean, the first page, like, okay, like you open it up and it's like, I mean, the striking color pages are really fun. Mm-hmm. They're just they're gorgeous. Um, everything's lavish about every like every page. There's nothing phoned in, but the very opening where it's like an this like ethereal flower blooming in a starscape and uh, Princess Emerald is just like in the middle. I'm like, oh yeah, baby, it's shoujo time. Like, we're here. Um, but just like every, like they never, I guess all the, um, like the summoning of swords and the summoning of mechs, like the just, it's always so like gaudy and just like laugh. I mean, every, everything is just like blooming and exploding on the page when they when they sort of bring their power into being which is just terrific um it's very hard i think to capture the sort of magical girl transformation the henshin is very difficult to capture i think on the page mm-hmm. sometimes one of the joys of tokusatsu that we both love is is the transformation um and is it's really critical at least in my experience what what makes the tokusatsu work so well in live action is that it becomes a ritual. Yeah. Right? And all good rituals prime you for what's coming nice. in the same way that watching an opening gets you ready for a show and watching an ending helps you like emotionally close it out. Like seeing the hero change and go through the forms is a ritual. But then like one of the joys for Tokusatsu is the minor variations of this ritual. Like, oh, this time it was a running henshin. Or, oh, this time there was blood running down their face. Or, oh... You know, this time there was rain, mm-hmm. right? Or like, oh, this time they like jumped on a motorcycle as he was seeing Hinch. You know, like those yes. variations in the transformation sequence or like with Sentai, right? Who who starts the call this week? Oh, God, right? yes. Oh, Ye- Yellow did it this week. Or, you know, it was just black and blue and they did it. You know, that, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. helps. But that's hard to capture in a manga in a way that doesn't feel like t- if you just drew the same panels again and again, it would be a little, I don't know, it doesn't quite capture it. But here... It was it was both very obvious because they would be like you know, fire mm-hmm, all around mm-hmm. and a sword comes out of nowhere. Um, so it was like very clearly like this is the transformation moment. But each and every time was like really original and like it, it, the, the sort of like that getting getting to have that but have that like constant variety um, was really really great. Um, and then the like, like I said, the character designs are just terrific. Like really, really distinct characters that look amazing, and like I, there's so many of them. Especially by the end, I was like, ah, "How did you? How did the gang draw all this?" Uh, <laughs> I imagine there were a lot of sleepless nights. So um, many shoulder pauldrons. Uh, so many, yeah. So many um, epaulets. The, the 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 pauldrons and the earrings and the hats and the capes. Like it's just everybody. <laughs> Nobody's simple to draw. Nobody just stands <laughs> yeah. there. You know, it's like I'm a dancer. <laughs> and they just strike this ridiculous pose um so yeah like i i loved it i really thought it was great um in addition to having you know just terrific mechanical designs and having all these big concepts at play i thought it was really really great in a relatively short package it's not the longest manga in the world i mean it's not a i wouldn't call it a quick read but Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't take you know hours and hours and hours and hours to read it um yeah, it was it was really good. I definitely want to reread it. Um, and the the collected volumes, the the Dark Horse volumes that you sent mm-hmm. me. Not only do I like that it has the color pages, but all the little the little asides where the crew would talk about like, here's the office cat, or mm-hmm. like here's some characters from the anime that you know we didn't get to show here, like they're anime originals, or like the little dress up doll cutouts yes. that are in there. Like I'm so glad those are still in there. 
because uh, I was like, ah, little cut up, little dress up dolls. That's great. Like uh, that's how how fun is that? <laughs> God, yeah. It was when I was still a librarian for high uh, a library assistant for a high school. Um, one of the things that I really got to do was expand their graphic novel um, collection, and I'm all like, I'm buying Magic Knights Ray Earth. <laughs> Because these kids need to know. Because like it's it talks the, so much about especially the children need to yeah, know. Yeah, I mean that's the, again the second half of it when you have all these characters from different worlds trying to vie for the system. The whole second half is like seriously sitting down and examining like the ethics of an institution, like an institution, a system. And mm-hmm. I'm like, these kids need to know. <laughs> like the children must know we must educate the children yeah i mean there's god i I love this like look at how the beauty of this place but if it means sacrificing the heart and the agency of one young girl is this place really beautiful i'm all like well done like oh, god and then yeah and then at the very end where um it's like, no, we won't have one system. We'll leave the fate of this world to the people who love it individually and together. Which is like, you know, shout out democracy, but like with the will and power to shape reality. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think that, that that extra element is that extra, that, that spice you're talking about. It's like... The fact that, okay, yeah, they're not just challenging authority, but they have to deal with the consequences of replacing it. And what does it mean to not be the only one to, like, there's enough there to really, you could kind of come at it in a, a deeper academic sense. Um, and all on its own as a work, as opposed to, like you were talking about the, um, uh, the academic you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, who sort of studies the genre, I guess kind of very high level, right? That's a very clinical look where you can kind of dissect I guess, kind of above, <laughs> right? You're almost sort of pulling it apart mm-hmm. and just seeing what the appeal is. Where here, you could, you could, you could do, good, I think, pretty strong, good literary analysis here and really talk about like what that means and like what Hikaru goes through yeah. in terms of you know even even the idea of sort of you know refuting all these like, all these strictures like no, it has to be this way, it has to be this way, it has to be this way. Even you know even God is like oh, I know you have to do this you have to do that and she rejects all that and, and she like, was able to a, do that because of, of the, the rapport of like yeah. like her and Mokona of her taking care of Mokona and really explaining her heart to Mokona like I mean talk about like praying to your God <laughs> right who you're yeah. holding and cuddling a little close it's all like I don't think I want like I want the truth of this world I want to be here with my friends and you're just holding God in your arms and God's just like mm, maybe you right <laughs> maybe you shall be my champion uh, and change the world um and just that like even like the super i mean i feel like it's super cheeky but i love it and how clever it is like that very last page where they break the fourth wall and just go like you reader who has been with us through this whole journey will you name this world and- i love the fact that they were like and who will name the world why the girl reading this yeah. <laughs> that's 14 out of 10 i have no notes that's uh, just <laughs> like you know that that's great and like hikaru like reaching out to take your hand yeah. like, oh my like, god you're right hikaru i have been on this journey together <laughs> with you and I will name this new world Poo Poo Town because I have the power. <laughs> and the little box isn't filled in. 
<laughs> Better be filled it in it's, pencil, it's no different, you jerk. <laughs> no different than when we were allowed to play Oregon Trail oh on the school computers when I was a kid. And you only had three letters to put on the people's tombstones, but that was enough to get some curse words in. <laughs> and by God, we, <laughs> we defiled some tombstones on that trip to Oregon. <laughs> oh. oh no! But no, I didn't write on the page. I what didn't you, write. It's on the your page. book. I it's, bought it's it for you. You own the thing. Do whatever you want. But also, no, like, you could feel me I... judging you from like, like ethereally. <laughs> like right, pee pee poo poo you... town in the box, and you're gonna like fall down. You're gonna be like psychic damage. Like, ah! oh my god, yeah. Fall. I'm like, I'll be holding coffee, and it'll just be that slow mo of like my mug <laughs> crashing <laughs> onto the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paula, what's wrong? Somewhere. Somewhere. A copy of Magic Knight Rare Earth was defiled. <laughs> the Great Crystal is shattered. <laughs> oh. Quick, give me the, the next season. nearest path to my, gra- my friend Grant's house. I could slap him in the face. <laughs> Must create. Getting I have the psychic spaceship. energy to do so to create this path. Man- <laughs> manifest your psychic battleship. And oh, 100%. <laughs> I would deserve it. The That's biggest fine. backhand. <laughs> I'd have to get on a stool, but I will give you the biggest. Yeah. <laughs> get, get out the ladder. Ta, 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 ta. You're uh, literally uh, a whole foot taller than me. That's wild. <laughs> um, oh. I'm on any like. Yeah, no, it's really good. It's really, really good. It's a terrific manga. I think you can enjoy it like purely surface level. You can enjoy it like as a work of its time. You can enjoy it. Like right here and now, I mean, Clamp also has a rep, I guess. My my like sort of like, I'm aware mm-hmm. of Clamp like as a thing and as as part of the part of the industry and part of like the the the, the medium of manga and so forth. But I also know that there's kind of a rep, a little bit that some of the works have for some you know some capital C content, if yep. you will. But there wasn't really much of that here. Like I wasn't like whoa per se. Yeah, know. this one's pretty pristine for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I mean there's nothing there's nothing like you'd have to be like okay, you know, you know, I can recommend it with this one giant asterisk. There's really nothing like that. It's a pretty it, yeah. it, I, I, it, it's pretty safe read in that sense. Um but really really everybody's good. Everybody's hot. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I mean that that's I mean that's the dream, right? That everybody is just gorgeous. And you know, like everything is is so wonderful, though, and it's it's really good. It's a work you can enjoy on a lot of different levels, and you can enjoy it, you know, today. And I don't think it's just nostalgia talking to say that it's really, really mm-hmm. strong, really, really strong work. Magic Knights of Earth, especially even as like the the anime adaptation is the first half is very the first half of the anime adaptation is um, very. Uh, close to uh or accurate to the first half of the series mm-hmm. the second half they took some liberties i never saw the second half because i knew they took some liberties and i didn't want to spoil that for me How because the first dare. half was so good i know the i i haven't yet seen the second half of magic knights but you know even the anime itself was like a super big deal like if you just look up magic knights where your opening theme song it is a bop Mm. Unyielding Wish is one of my favorite anime opening songs. Mm. Yep. Um, and whenever there's like a, a Twitter discussion of like what anime we would like to see remade, because you know they re- they they updated Sailor Moon and Sailor Moon Crystal. Yep. Right. Um, 
we got a, a you know another whole slew of like remade anime and i'm like remake magic knights rare like literally if i get like mappa quality mecca mm. from like or current toei this arc of one piece Mm, right yeah like in magic knights ray earth and seeing sarah's windham and ray earth my mechs in the anime quality yeah. oh my god <laughs> yeah that's that's one of those things like um i've seen some of the i mean i i haven't seen all of crystal but what i've seen of it looks a little rough um i mean the first half yeah yeah like the second half and they just like leaned into the actual 2d animation beautiful, okay gorgeous good good no that's notes. good to hear because it's <laughs> almost amazing to see how like the the stuff toei is putting out right now I mean, it used to be that was kind of a almost a death sentence, right? To to get mm-hmm. to the the weekly Toei an- adaptations for these long running shonen was kind of like, ooh, this is rough. But I mean, just about everything they yeah. touch right now, and that's like the baseline, right? For these super long running yeah. things, they have to do week after week after week. It'd be and they, you know, obviously Toei does uh, stuff like uh, Pretty Cure as well, which also looks mm-hmm. just oh yes, oh my god, just gorgeous. I mean, it's like oh my god, this is incredible. So it'd be a really amazing to see. Um, what even what they would do um i don't mean to call them a generic studio but you know toei is one of the big names and has been around for a long mm-hmm. time and produces a ton mm-hmm. of different stuff uh it'd be pretty great to see they could do magic nice they yeah. can pick it up yeah but really any modern studio because it's just like you know what we've come to expect from an average you know my hero episode or an average like yeah. demon slayer cut is just like the the quality is is just i mean a little it's a little much almost at times. You're almost like, oh, yeah. I can't believe this is weekly animation. So I think it'd be really yeah, great exactly. to see to see that, see like a, a new release for it. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and take a break for right now. Yeah. And then in the second half of this beautiful episode, we'll talk about to see how we would adapt Magic Knights Bay Earth yeah. into our own little game. Yeah. See you guys then. Hi. This is Paula taking a second just to say we're a Q-Times production. Check out all the great games that make some great stories at Q-Times, that's Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-M-E-S on YouTube and Twitch. We are back. Um, And now uh, we've talked about the work itself. And now for the kind of the other portion of the program where uh, we're going to try to talk about how you might uh, run a game uh, in the oeuvre of Matching Night Ray Earth, or at least try to incorporate some of those elements uh, into a game. And this is definitely a, a big, big topic. So I guess the first question is, have you tried to game Ray Earth before? Technically, I, ha- I haven't been the one to do it. Technically, I played a game with Ray Earth in it. Okay. Um, and... I said I would mention this, like, because I mentioned my Rifts game in high school before, which is technically mm-hmm. my very first foray into tabletop RPGs, which, mm-hmm. you know, like all childhood things, totally informs how I do things now. Um, which I've got. So in high school, like, like you do, my the dude I dated at the time was playing a, uh, a basically a version of a Rifts game with mm-hmm. um, their two friends, and it was. <laughs> I guess like all weebs in freaking high school. Um, they fell in through like one of the rifts mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, there were, there were also books, you know, rifts Japan, R- rifts had like rifts yeah. Japan, rifts Africa, rifts oh, China. Amazing. Which, you know, if you ever okay. want to, if you want to go on a ride, read some of those books. 
I, I uh, kind of might just for for both our sakes and just for just, funsies. Because I have hilarious. read them. I read them when I was you know like thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> revisiting some of them, I have revisited. Some of them I haven't. Um, I'm sure there's some capital C content in those to be sure. But yeah. anyway, do do so go on. Clean. Yes. So we're in like the setting was feudal Japan, and like I mean at the time I was like 17 years old. Like seventeen to eighteen at the time, like my boyfriend was trying to explain this to me, and I'm like, "You do what with dice and what?" <laughs> like I'm sure is was the trope of like you try to introduce tabletop RPGs to like your girlfriend, she'll roll your eyes at you, and I at the time I technically did because like yeah. Lord knows what I knew, <laughs> but I I will 100 God bless our GM, our very young GM at the time, um. He, so after my boyfriend tells me about this game and like, sure, join us for one afternoon. And I, of course, said yes, because that means I get like, I get to see my boyfriend after school and have an excuse. Oh, yeah, we're just doing a group project. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went to an all-girls school. It was a very big deal that I got to see my boyfriend after school Mm, Um, because I didn't see him at school because we didn't go to school together. Um, And so, of course, I said yes. And I'm like, sure, I'll make this like really weird. Like, I don't know what to do, but I'll show up and hang out with you and your friends. That's cool. And so, God bless. Like, I, it's both you and I think in the back of my head, like, this guy named Mike, who was friends with my boyfriend. We were in the same circle together. And he's like, listen, I know this is weird. So why don't, and why don't we do this? I know you love Magic Knights. I know mm. you do. And I'm like, yeah, bitch, I do. Um, <laughs> uh, and he's like, I made, a, why don't you just take over an NPC that I made? Because mm. he put Magic Knights in the game. Because the whole game was, the whole storyline that he had for my boyfriend and their friends was the legend that they figure out was that these three sisters in feudal Japan, these three magical sisters in feudal Japan, are the sign of the apocalypse. Should these three sisters know each other or meet together, the wor- there's a world-ending event that's happening. Mm. So, but whoever has these three sisters as part of their, either, was it either group or country or whatever, um, or like, uh, if you have, if these sisters are part of like your battle, it changes your, um, it uh you know it, it they changed like the feel of the battle whatever so the whole mm. the whole run was like they have to find one of these sisters and mm. there was like a big rebellion happening because it's like it's you know warring states japan mm-hmm. um everyone's after these sisters and everyone's still after each other so a lot of the ploy is like we got to find one of these sisters and he got he got me to play um hikaru for like a hot second and okay. then we, and then he realized Fu was uh, uh, Umi was my favorite character, so he gave me Umi afterwards. But I got to play Umi because um, they found like Umi as a character, and we our whole. So we had this like, I honestly can't remember how we worked at the beginning, but my biggest memory was like he, like he's like forget the mechanics. I don't, you don't have to tell me what these like. I don't, you, don't, I don't have to explain these scores to you. Whatever. You just tell me what you want to do, and I'll explain to you how that works. Right. And right, it was exactly. the most welcoming way, mm-hmm. like, for me to experience tabletop RPGs for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, Mike and I, a GM, and if I guess if my boyfriend at the time was a jealous person, like, this would never have flown. So, you know, <laughs> good, good for them at the time not to be jealous about that. But, like, Mike and Are I. You game mastered my girl, bro? You game yeah. mastered my girl right 100%. now? 100%. <laughs> 
<laughs> like totally. Like we stayed up at the height of like you still use dial-up internet. Like we stayed up <laughs> all night. I was like privileged enough to have a computer with internet in my room. Mm-hmm. And I just stayed Ooh. up all night, just like a like AOL instant messaging Mike with like a digital like dice roller. Mm. Like at the really crude digital dice roller at the time, right. and we were just like he, we would role play, we would play by mm-hmm. post role play, yeah, in yeah, real yeah. time. Like uh, my adventures as Umi, just to get me used to playing the game, so that when mm-hmm. all three of us, like my boyfriend and his couple of friends, like met, like I would be caught up with them, and the role play would be right. me, me meeting them. Mm. And I'm like, that is so cool. Mm-hmm. Like what a great way to do that, and I love the yeah, story yeah. beat, and I have a very clear memory of like we got stuck in this battle, and like I gave, I guess I gave Mike like the GM like a GM moment of his dreams where I role played with my boyfriend like Umi yeah, and yeah. like this guy I was starting to have a romance right because right, like, right. I don't want you to get hurt as before the battle I can handle myself <laughs> like, my teenage romance but it was like totally unprompted role play and I saw mm-hmm. Mike's face and he's like I'm losing my mind I've been waiting for y'all to do this forever <laughs> and I'm like oh, I'm sorry Mike I took over that I was like are you kidding I've been waiting for them to role play something <laughs> Um, it's like you're a blessing and I'm like it was such a welcoming table because of what Mike did as a GM Mm. and I have a very clear memory of we were going through all these really cool tactics I let the boys figure out what taxes they want and the mechanic of um, I had all my weapons still in that gem Mm -hmm. and he's like it was like an action to summon that kind of like feeling it was just like what what I want to do or like whatever to wield my weapon and that was like the mm-hmm. big thing that I had magical weapon but I also had control like I he gave me summoning um Ceres as like an actual dragon not the mech mm. but as an actual like like spiritual right. dragon right. to do like a breath weapon and that's it like once like once per like day I get to do mm-hmm. that and so, like, I was holding on to that because that would re- reveal me as the NPC X, like, ex-NPC as I'm one of the sisters. Right. So, like, I was right. hanging on to that type, but, like, the tide of battle was not going in our favor. And I'm, like, I, me, as Dekara, me as Umi cared so much of, like, not to sacrifice more people than I want them to. That's, mm. like, it was such a big hero moment of, like, Umi, what are you doing? And I'm, like, striding out in the middle of this battlefield facing down this, like, this giant army that's, like, ki- like that's basically, like, we were almost losing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, it's now or never. And I just summon my dragon right. and just decimated <laughs> the army. And I turn around yeah. and, like, it's, it, like, goes back into my gym. And, like, the commander of, like, the army that we were part of, he's, like, so you had a dragon? I'm, like, sorry. <laughs> I, you know couldn't tell you at the time i just wanted i hope this is like trust now (laughs) and oh god it was such like to have that moment as like a teenage girl in a boys table Mm -hmm. changed my life of course like when when my boyfriend and i broke up that hall went away until you and i started playing yeah, and then I brought you back in the, the me CD back. world of rolling dice. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, like so I, that's, that's really that's one of the like it stands out. I was like, okay, that dynamic of like the three sister, like turning the Magic Knights into three sisters, mm-hmm. like elemental sisters, mm-hmm. like that's cool. Yeah, I I think that's definitely like one of the first things that I was going to suggest is that you know it, it, 
I, there's there's layers to this, right? Mm-hmm. One, and you clearly lived one of the models, which is to, um, instead of say, trying to get three to you know try to get three to five friends to also all play a magical girl game, <laughs> try to bring those elements into a game you know, be a sort of, a bring, bring the magical girl to an existing game that can mm-hmm. handle it. Now, Rifts, obviously, is designed to handle literally anything. I guess probably the last, the first and last step of any conscious design going on in that game, because it's <laughs> mechanically, it's a mess. <laughs> and the setting is, the setting is awesome in the same way that a, you know, like a two-hour guitar solo is. Um, <laughs> it's it's great. I mean, it's got a lot of great points. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I really enjoy Rifts, but it's also, it's it's a it's a thing. But you can just make a character that has some of those tropes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also try to run it as its own campaign. And I guess that that's really the 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 level of I think this this goes for anything that kind of starts to step out of I don't want to call D and D the norm, but if we're being practical, that is the norm, mm-hmm. right? Like D and D is definitely the norm, certainly in the modern day too. Like the vast majority of people play or have played Dungeons and Dragons or play games that use a lot of the same assumptions right yeah. which are those assumptions tend to be really really mechanically dense combat mechanics mm-hmm. that are very logistical in nature it's about managing what weapon are you equipped with how many arrows do you have how many spells do you have yeah and then combined with usually a corner of like the medium complexity tends to be the skill system like there's some bonuses and some rolling but it's a little more interpretive and then the social dimension and character interactions are much more freeform. And that's the kind of the D&D model. And I think most games out there that people play in big numbers, you know, once you once you've mentioned D&D and say Pathfinder, which is mm-hmm. you know, just D&D with the serials filed off, like <laughs> you've already encompassed you know, a huge percentage of what people actually play. Right. Um not to say that those are the only games or that it should be that way, mind you, but it's just practically speaking, right? That's what most yeah. people's experience is going to be. Um, so you could incorporate that. Um, you know, I think depending on, but you, I guess you have to you have to get some of that buy-in. Um, and one of the easiest ways to get buy-in is to say, well, at least I'm going to buy into it, even if the rest of the table doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a character like, oh, I'm just going to reskin, like say a warlock or a sorcerer, and these are each spell I use is some expression of, you know, I'm just going to reflavor it, right? That's the classic model. Yeah. It's like you just, uh, okay, yeah, this on paper, this is a fireball spell, but it's me raising my magic scepter and saying, you know, purest hearts, purest flame, and, you know, the shining light of my scepter does the damage, right? You can just kind of reskin it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way to do it, but I think obviously that's probably the it's not the most satisfying way i've certainly played a ton of characters who mechanically were maybe one thing but i reskinned them to be something else and that's fine because it's a there's a there's not too much risk there you don't have to get a bunch of people to buy into playing a whole other genre mm-hmm. um you know people are comfortable with D because it's it's a pretty easy mode to fall into you you're like ah oh, we're like fighter people who you know, kill monsters and take their stuff. I can just, I can be literally whatever. Like, oh, I'm like a teleporting elf archer, and oh, you're like a angry dwarf, like priest or something. Whatever. We're gonna go kill the monsters and take their stuff. It's very easy to just show up to the table and play, right? right. So, one low, low difficulty element would just be to take an existing kind of D and D class or something, 
and then reskin everything to express itself in the narrative for everybody else as a sort of magical girl component. You know, oh, battle is starting, I'm transforming and stuff. And you can probably work with your GM or something to make it a little more... We always want the mechanics to represent the narrative, right? Right. Um, and even and even though D&D is often touted as a generic system, it's really not. It's mm-hmm. really meant to model, you know, a, a, I don't even know if you'd call it modeling. It's just this weird amalgam of constantly slapdashed mechanics put together by a bunch of <laughs> Great War- Lakes region nerds in yeah. the 70s and 80s. Initially. Super into war but- games. But I, yeah, but like, I think part of the, um, I think it's also part of the oof of D&D ultimately and what has made its longevity, if, if you're coming from that perspective, to just inject into it things that you like. Like, let's take the cleric, for example. A lot of people assume the cleric is like a Catholic priest type <laughs> character, like a war priest kind of thing. And obviously that's something that it's picked up over time. But if you think about when you, if you go back to what the cleric was, get a little D&D history here for you. If you go back to what the cleric was at its core in the early editions of D&D, they couldn't even cast spells at first level. What was the thing they could do? They could turn undead. They could turn away the undead, mm. which is very, very clearly a hammer horror Van Helsing thing. Like they were trying to model, how do we do Van Helsing? Like that's what we're going to try to do here. Or the monk was very clearly like they're like they were like watching probably David Carradine's Kung Fu oh, and being God. like, we're gonna put this in our game, right? The barbarian is Conan, right? They're just slamming in all the stuff that they like from all the various media that they like, Fan and over time, in game form. It really is. I mean, it's exactly what it is, right? <laughs> and like, you know, and so whether it's you know stories like Fafner or whatever and, yeah. and gray mouse or like they're they're just they're old that that's always been D&D's thing now whether it's actually done a very good job at that or not is a whole other discussion but taking media that you like and finding a way to make it work in D&D is like that's the bedrock of the game so i think that's definitely an approach um i think the the two other caveats that were one is that good enough mm-hmm. right because obviously like magic Knight ray earth is about three magical girls or sailor moon is about five magical girls right the the, the pretty cure teams or whatever right like everybody's a magical girl um and there's a different dynamic right whereas it's it's not like all these girls have all these powers and they're really more like a superhero team yes as opposed to like a dnd party correct um right like that's really critical to the the shape of the narrative and stuff mm-hmm. um so it's really a question of is that enough for you that's probably the easiest way to incorporate those elements um, but also with that comes, I guess, like which part of the magical girl experience is critical and particularly the magic night ray earth experience, because the, I think most of what's in here, like you're saying, they even talk about it, right? Like, Oh, it's like we're in an RPG. Yeah. Totally. You know, oh, we've got armor and weapons and you know, Oh, we get upgrades and stuff. I actually think DD's pretty good at that. Obviously like one mm-hmm. of the big things about the draw is the progression. This like suddenly I just have bigger powers and mm-hmm. I hit harder and all that kind of stuff. Right. Which I um, love to use if, whenever, like when I ask, when I ask you in our home game, like now that you've leveled mm-hmm. up, how does that level up look like for you? Right. Right. I love that story and, mechanic because you want to be able to like give, like let your players have their describe their montage moment. Like who doesn't love mm-hmm. a montage moment? Oh, hundred percent. And I think a lot of people will probably describe it as like I go in the woods and train or the classic D and D model was like you literally would find a trainer like you would in an MMO and you would yeah, pay yeah, them yeah. to teach you like weapon mastery skills and stuff. But I think, you know, having it like having some time to I sit with my magic gem and I like come to a sudden moment of like self clarity 
and that unlocks something for me is you can you can frame it like that and it would be fine. Um, the sticking point is one: is that good enough? Do you even want to try it in D and D? And I think sticking point two is the mechs, right? Like the mecha dimension is critical, and that's where it can get kind of weird. Um, so I have like I, there's a couple elements to that. Um, one for me personally, I would want to run like. If I want to run Magical Girls, like I want to run like the whole team's Magical Girls, right? Like that that would that would be the dream, right? We want to have the the whole the sort of whole genre, like we really want to approach the genre as a whole and like try to emulate that, which basically starts to step into more like basically superhero style mm-hmm. games, right? At the end of the day, um, you know what 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 is Cyclops if not a magical boy, right? Like he <laughs> screams like Optic, I have to use my powers to save my beloved Jean, Optic Blast, you know that kind of stuff. Like it's <laughs> Like, you know, you can, you can I still. Can't, I can't rewatch the stupid cartoon anymore. <laughs> and the the love triangle with him and Wolverine. Yes. Right? I mean, oh my and, god. And Jean, like it's like oh the, the the painful drama when when Wolverine is laying there doing the meme, putting his hand to the picture, like that's the pining. That's pure magical girl stuff, right? Like that's the emotion. That's all there. Uh, and superhero games, I think what's really great about them is that unlike say D and D, where you know, the idea is, okay, I'm going to take this thing that I love and then re- really recontextualize it in what D&D is doing, which is the sort of trumped-up war game where you're, like, managing logistics and rations and travel distances and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is very simulationist at its core. It's about, like, oh, I got a disease and, oh, we don't have enough food and water and that kind of stuff, right? Um, the superhero model is more like, how do we... How do we model all these fantastic abilities all the time? Mm-hmm. Um, and those games are really trying to, to to wrap their heads around you know characters who can just straight up fly, right, or jump dimensions, or you know shoot various elemental powers out of their hands and stuff. So I think if you approach it from that angle, you can definitely model the the powers stuff more easy, mm-hmm. uh, more easily, I should say, um, even with the mecha. Because, you know, it's like those games often have to account for characters like Iron Man, you know, or, um, you know, or giant char- characters like, you know, um, that can grow to be 100 feet tall. Like th- those games have elements of scale built into them usually because right. that's something they have to deal with. Um, so you have a lot of, and they usually have benchmarks. That's very common, especially in modern games. Like, oh, a strength of five means they can lift this many tons or whatever. But that also can kind of get into its own getting into the weeds of like okay how tall is the mech and how many points do i need to build a power that does that you can get lost in that too but i think within the space of the superhero um that that those games they are trying to model a lot of different stuff going on across multiple genres which you know ray earth has okay yeah like they have they have swords and bows and staffs and they fight monsters and stuff but they also fight you know, uh, battleships and they're in Mecca and there's, you know, magic priests and powers, you know, it's all comic book stuff. So I think that's an approach you could use too. Um, and you would just kind of need to recontextualize again, you know, think, show, yeah, maybe these characters are actually a lot of characters in this wear capes too. I think it's actually yeah, I mean... easier to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and those games usually, especially the modern ones, um, there's a lot of, 
stuff about, you know, hero points and power in when you're in that space of like, you know, the drama of losing your powers for an episode or for an issue or all the kind of melodrama around so-and-so's in danger and I have to save them. A lot of games will try to model that in some way. So there's some guidance there in the rules. Whereas say something like D and D something like a more traditional tabletop role-playing game may not do great with that. Like it doesn't really model emotion much. You know, like there's the barbarian rage, but that's a it's basically just a combat mechanic, right? Um, the game doesn't have a whole lot of social structure on it per se. Um, so you could try the superhero route. Um, there's also a lot of like straight up magical girl games. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, like some of the older ones, like say one of my <laughs> my first games, Big Eyes Small Mouth, oh, Besom, yes. uh, the the anime role-playing game from the 90s had a bunch of stuff in it about playing magical girls and also there was um it, there was a sailor moon game by the company but ultimately that was just what i'm describing besom was basically like champions but with the serials filed off and much much simpler it was basically just a superhero game ultimately um it, it used some anime tropes but it was basically just a superhero point by system ultimately uh, you would you would just say, oh, I'm buying the mecha power and I'm going to invest some points in it to it lets me do this, that, and the other, in the same way that you would buy a mecha power, you know, today in in a modern role playing game or in you know a, a modern superhero game, I should say. So it's definitely one approach, um, but there's also a lot of straight up magical girl games. Um, Glitter Hearts, I think, is one, um, especially in the kind of the play powered by the apocalypse mm. uh, space, oh, which I have, and a lot of those yet. games. The the Power by the Apocalypse stuff is really good, um, and so is Fate. But both of those, I would say, Fate and Power by the Apocalypse are both um, primarily narrative systems first, mm-hmm. right? They're very much, there's a, I mean, without getting too much, I mean, you could always get more specific and more down in the weeds, but of the sort of, there's the, the, the old GNS model was that role-playing games either come as either gamist, narrativist, or simulationist uh, models, right? D&D is kind of, I guess D&D has all three these days, but D&D at its core is very much a simulationist game. It wants you to feel like you're simulating some kind of reality. That's why there's really detailed rules on like how much can you carry and how much damage do you take when you fall off a cliff? You know, that kind of stuff, right? It, it, it's like, you know, you fell, you're going to get hurt when you fall, that kind of right. stuff. Um, gamist elements are things like, I, I guess you could say um, the the spells and abilities and stuff are both gamist and narrativist for D anD D. Like, it's narrativist in the sense that they were trying to model Jack Vance's dying Earth in some ways, and you could take it. And that's kind of the classic wizard model. You have to go rest before you can use your spells again. But like, why one day specifically? Well, that's just kind of a gamey thing that we do. Uh, or how come everybody moves in five foot increments or like increments of five? All the measurements are are in blocks of five that's just a gamist thing like your reach in the game isn't well the length of your arm is 1.5 feet no it's just it's five feet it's just a gamey thing that we do right Mm -hmm. um there are a lot of games now that and the power by the apocalypse and fate stuff more broadly because they are very popular and the blade the blades in the dark what what do they call that forged in the dark stuff Mm -hmm. which is under that umbrella um are all very narrativist games the the tempo isn't the same as a sort of D and D style game. You're very much like we are in the rising action. We get to the climax. We do the denouement. Like you're trying to, you're exchanging a lot of meta currencies, right? Like, Oh, I'm getting 
fate points because I played up my flaws and I'm spending those points on my positive personality attributes mm. to punch harder. Um, that kind of thing, which also is very clearly in not only the sort of magical girl genre, but really a lot of modern fiction, yeah. right? Like you, you punch harder because everything's on the line mm -hmm. and or there's a story now your reason, heart's in yeah. it. So you, no, there's a story reason yeah. why. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, in, in Sephiroth in particular, there's a story reason why I get my, I get to cast a more powerful, you know, fire spell mm -hmm. at you. Because now I want to yeah, protect I my, believe. yeah, I believe my friends are behind me. I want to protect them. I want them right. to protect them. Right. It's a universe shaped by will. So like, of course, the more you become comfortable with yourself, the more powerful you'd be. That's not a, that's not an issue of physics. That's an issue of the, of the soul of the self, mm -hmm. right? So in some senses, those, I think those games could also fit. Mm -hmm. um, one of the caveats that I would have with those recommendations. One, there are just some straight up games. Glitter Hearts is one that comes to mind, but there are a couple um, of games that just explicitly try to model magical girl you know, narratives. Um, there's a lot of games out there. We, we truly live in a game of just absolute abundance, not only of original games, but like, you know, I, there, there's games, this is a side note, but like if you want to play like specifically like say 80s era uh cartoons mm -hmm. right transformers gi joe and stuff there's a game called cartoon action hour that <laughs> actively tries to emulate not just the settings of those worlds but like what it feels like to watch an 80s cartoon as a kid you do commercial breaks you do uh, after episode morals for wow. bonus xp you can do quote unquote the movie sessions where suddenly characters can die and stuff like it's trying to model down to that level of experience which is a high level of specificity i would say um, and so these days, in the same sense, there are you know, generations of people who've been raised on magical girl stories and want to play those stories. And so there's a ton of, of maybe not high profile, but there are a ton of magical girl games out there that you can just try. Yeah. Um, I haven't played them personally. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they're laser focused on doing what they're supposed to do. My only caveat there would be that my, in my experience, personally, the fate and power by the apocalypse stuff makes a really strong first impression plays really strong for a couple of sessions but the problem is the flexibility can kind of become a negative even though i sometimes hate the specificity of stuff in D D or whatever like oh why do we really need all these rules do we really need all these specifics all that texture does support long-term play mm -hmm. really well um and it gives people ways to there's always something new to learn there's always some new part of the rules to figure out there's always some new way to interact with the game system one of the problems it's a both a positive and a negative some of those narrative games like fate and powered by the apocalypse type stuff they are so good and so efficient that it's very easy to figure out quite literally the entirety of the game and for there to be no mechanical mystery um and everything kind of starts to feel the same it's like if okay i'm gonna hurt them okay i'm gonna roll 2d6 and add plus two for strong because i'm punching them strong but then your friend who's also sitting at the table says i'm going to try to hurt them too but i'm doing it sneakily so i'll roll 2d6 and add my two sneak you're both rolling 2d6 and adding two yeah you're describing it different but there's never really any mechanical feeling of it being mm -hmm. different and a lot of times you end up doing the same things mechanically and even though it's it sounds very silly and shallow but 
our brains do enjoy like learning weird new subsystems sometimes and all that and it can be hard i have found it is hard to get people to keep coming back to the table because sometimes there's no mechanical mystery so you really have to play up the the narrative stuff yeah and keep if you're going. not learning something new it, it's hard well yeah yeah i mean i think that's the well that's i guess the fun part of at least like um gaming is that not only are you like you know engaging mm -hmm. in this space but you're learning together with the people around you and sometimes that learning right, could exactly. be like the mechanics of a game or sometimes that learning could be like mm -hmm. oh now i know that about you <laughs> right or, right <laughs> oh boy now i really yeah. all right <laughs> whoa that's your favorite npc all right okay cool 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 yeah. cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. <laughs> first pressing a silent button under the table uh no um but like so i there is a, a worry there and i also have found and that's that may just be my own thing i know a lot of people who love those games and can't get enough and i have played and plenty of set like i've had a lot of great sessions of those mm -hmm. games but i mean it may just be that my groups are a little more traditionalist but even games I've tried to run online with people who at least initially were having a really heavy buy-in, it tends to drop off because the roles kind of start to feel the same. Mm. And it starts to feel like it all does kind of run together. So I do see how it doesn't support long-term play sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the, other, the, 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 the negative of those sometimes is that because they're trying to model a narrative, they're trying, they have a certain vision. Like someone else may have a vision for what the actual narrative loop should be. That, oh, you're doing this, that, and the other, and then this, you know, then you do these moves and this, that, and the other, and then, like, you come back to this, and you may not jive with that loop. There may be points where you're like, I don't understand why suddenly I have to do this narratively. Um, and I, I almost find that knocks me out of it more than just, like, I don't understand why. It's no different, really, than, like, I don't understand why the game is modeling. It says that fire only does this damage to whatever. Like, it can be just as jarring. Mm. Um, so that's a concern. Um but that, that being said, I think that's an option. Um, and I think one of the benefits there is you're like, hey, I want to play, say, Glitter Hearts. You're 100%. If somebody says they want to show up to play Glitter Hearts, like they should know that you know, they're playing magical goals, yeah. right? And hopefully you can get that buy-in there. Um, but in terms of supporting long-term play, personally, I think what really needs to happen is it's, I mean, obviously you want to try to model the transformations and the weapons and the mecha. There are ways to do that. Um, in more traditional games, I've tried to use mecha, like fantasy mecha. It can get hairy just because you're like, you start, you know, you don't want to go full battle tech where you're just like, okay, you have all these like, have Excel spreadsheets of mecha and stuff. Um, and you've got to track, you know, all power and ammunition. Like that gets really, really, it tends to not be fun for a group of people. You spend a lot of time bookkeeping. But I think you can model it that kind of stuff with okay there's like a scale modifier right like if you're not also in a mecha or similarly powerful thing you know or the creatures aren't maybe there's a damage reduction or you know they only can hurt you on a critical right. or something like that because you want you that's the thing you really kind of want to make the mechs feel big even though when they fight each other it's not really any different mm -hmm. than if the characters were fighting but you do want to be like okay well when you're in the mech you can crush like the little people and like the little the little buildings and stuff are nothing to you now because you're big and powerful. Um, so there's that. Um, but I th personally think you need to try to find, if you're going to do a magical girl, like to me, if I was going to do a magical girl game at the table, I'd probably want to take a few cues from something like Pendragon 
which I know is a weird place to go, but I want to mechanize some of the emotional elements mm -hmm. personally. Like I'd want to attach some numbers to some things because to my mind, this is just me and you can disagree. Obviously, Paul, it's up to you if you want to. How dare you? But how dare I? One of the things that's the draw, particularly for shoujo or really anything that's got a kind of soap opera element mm -hmm. is that these characters have very, very big emotions and often big emotions that they cannot control and or do not understand, Correct. right? Like you have characters that are just like, just drawn to each other and they can't explain it. Like why, why I hate the villain, but I can't stop thinking about them and they just pine and they, you know, <sighs> they, they just feel drawn to them, right? Like that powerful kind of emotion. That is like some um, Bridgerton beautiful nonsense. <laughs> yeah, right? It's just like, oh. Not to date this show, the show, but I just finished the second season and I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> right it's it but it's that kind of this, just these powerful mm -hmm. emotions that even the characters are just like they're just too big for their bodies to control too big for words sometimes <laughs> and i think you would obviously there'd be a lot of like you'd want to use safety tools like x cards yes. and stuff like you probably want to to really you really want to set the stage for this but if you're if your group is okay with it and okay with saying if things get into, into bad territory. But really play in that genre space of just like the kind of like the variability and the unknown aspects of attraction or even repulsion. And like having, I would probably have mechanics like, you know, literally anytime a character enters a scene, everybody roll. And if you get, you know, a, a 20 or like you get an 8, everybody roll your like, like your emotional die mm -hmm. or something. And if you get the biggest number on the die, for some reason, this person compels you. Like, we don't even say what it is, but like for some reason, they just strike you. And like this is something your character is going to have to explore. And maybe they pull away from them or pull closer to them or what, or have, have it so that NPCs would also similarly just be like, why can't I stop thinking about so-and-so? They're my sworn enemy, you know, like yes. that kind of thing. Like where these like just suddenly you're just struck by someone. Yeah. Which is a very teenage thing. One hundred percent. Someone just comes in, and that's kind of like where the fun. Yeah, for, you know. yeah. I'm like, I want to play at this table. That's I. I for me, yeah. <laughs> as someone who loves narrative and like uh, character changing mm -hmm. narrative, like that's kind of like, whew, that's my happy place. <laughs> my brain, <laughs> my yeah. brain tingles. Yeah, and I, you'd want to be careful. Like, I, I wouldn't do it. Like, yeah, I oh, wouldn't do it with like people I just met. I would do it with people who have like no, been role playing no, 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 and no, no, no. I know, like, yes. I know them very well. Like, you know, w when you're with people who I know across the table, like, if I know when t my best friend is uncomfortable, my best friend Tim is uncomfortable when he shifts in his face. So when I mm -hmm. hear movement, I'll always check in. It's all like, well, are you trying? What are you? Yeah, what are you trying right. to say? Um, yeah. You would definitely want, and you'd want that level of rapport, like, hey, do we need to step yeah. away or hey, back off this? But I think, I think even if it's, and you'd want to avoid, you wouldn't want like, hey, roll a d6. Uh, what did you get, a five? Okay, you love him. Forever. Yeah, no, like, you that, wouldn't there's want no that. agency in that. You would, no, 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 you would want, you would want it to be like, you would want to, to set the table, but have it be like, if you roll a six, first time you met an NPC or something, like, for some reason, you cannot stop thinking about them. And maybe it's, you know, we roll another die for like randomly because there's like random mm -hmm. encounter like uh, charts and stuff for emotional stuff. But it it could just be like maybe you can't stop thinking about them, and for some reason you hate them and you can't figure out why. And then maybe it's okay. We explore why do you hate them, and maybe it's as we you know play out some scenes on the side. It's because actually you love them and you know you can't be with them, so it came out as hate. Or maybe it's hate because they embody an ideal that you wish you embodied. Mm -hmm. Or 
you know, maybe we roll initially and you're, you, you think you love them, but as we play some scenes out, it's actually, no, I, I just, they, they remind me of someone else who I'm actually. Yeah. You want to give, you, you want to give them tie. that, um, God, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's all like, I want to marry yeah. you. It's like, I hate you completely. And it's a whole, um, very much, very human drama. Um, right. But allow them that agency of and that option to do so is fantastic. Precisely. I, I, I think that would be where I would want to go. Where you'd want some system where, I mean, obviously in most D and D games that I run and most games that I run anyway, there's a light element of romance. Or if there's an NPC that strikes somebody's fancy and they want to spend more time with, sure, yeah. why not? But it's not something you're really pushing. But here, I feel like it's kind of unavoidable. If for uh, maybe if for no other re- level than say like the passion level in kind of an operatic mm-hmm. sense, like these characters have to evoke really strong emotions mm-hmm. in one another, um, and it has to be whether you're friends, foes, particularly if you're yes. foes, right? I mean, God, who, like you know, enemies to lovers, right? The oh, classic God. trope. Like you want the characters. <laughs> Hold up to my be chin with compelled. your sword seductively, <laughs> and also that you're right. going like to kill gotta, me. <laughs> yeah, you've got to have space Woo! for those moments. I think otherwise. Otherwise, it's like, how are you going to run a game that, that tries to embody those kind of vibes? So I would want some system where, or some kind of agreement at the table where there's a way to, I mean, even randomly, and I think that's the fun too, because a lot of the soap opera stuff, or the you know, shoujo or whatever, it's just like, wait, why are these two characters compelled mm-hmm. by one another? And maybe they can't even explain it. And maybe it's because there's nothing there, and it was some passing thing, or maybe it's like through through play and with time we figure out oh that's what it was yeah. all along right or something you know, I, I think you want to have space mm-hmm. for that and it's so also like the mad sorry. some kind of it it's also oh, like kind of like the magic of role play like at like i almost don't like like i almost don't like um to get too detailed on what my character's backstory might mm-hmm. be because you want to be able to mm-hmm. um leave room for your table to change you and to make decisions of what your character yeah. do off uh, like at the table that you only discover at your table just like a person Absolutely. and allow those moments Absolutely. and those decisions in that role play to kind of like write backwards as you go forward oh and 100% that's kind of like the beauty of that that's the yeah. magic yeah yeah and even i think there's also a, a very strong teenage element there sometimes i have in the past been suddenly struck by like oh my gosh like why do i love this person ah, i don't know how to deal with it like i'm just a teenager like you know like you, you can't even explain yeah. why you're drawn to someone sometimes even when it's frustrating and difficult and i think there's probably even more positive ways to explore like sudden uh, um, sudden attractions that you're not really sure is is it even okay socially is am i, am I allowed to be attracted yeah. to this person and like you can explore those kinds of themes by you know, and spicing up a little bit when the players can't expect it. Like, oh, suddenly, randomly, there's some compulsion there that you have to you have to at least process it. Yeah. Right? I think that's really what, what the positive sense of that would be. And I think you can also, like we're talking about, there'd be so many great ways to, like, as a, as a table even, make it a group project mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, all right, guys, can we, like, we're, it's funny at first, but, like, really, why do these two, they just see, they, they keep, they seem to be in each other's lives. And, like, suddenly, it's like, oh, I know the NPC reveals to the player character in a session, like, actually, I've realized it. We were lovers in a past oh, eon God, and yes. we're reborn again and our love echoes through eternity. You know, that classic stuff that you... you It's really hard to do if you're not 
pushing that high level of, I guess, emotional mm-hmm. intensity in some way. Um, and I think sort of giving it to dice in some way is not, it, I think you could see it as kind of cheapening those mm-hmm. emotions, but I think it's a helpful way, almost like an icebreaker to kind of get people yeah, moving yeah. and get people, you know, get some, get some sparks flying. Um, because that way it's like, well, the, yeah, the dice it, yeah, it, it also be, gets it out of you. some of yeah, this, it right? It allows you that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why do anonymous people like act all crazy because of anonymity? Um, it gives you right. a power outside right. yourself. The only time that you are t- taking mm-hmm. agency in a way that is going to take away some of that agency because you're leaving it to it, leaving it, literally leaving it to chance. Um, and it's interesting mm-hmm. that you do bring up like emotional mechanic with NPCs because that also is really important with your fellow PCs, like with your mm-hmm. f- people around mm-hmm. the table, especially if you're doing like a team magical girl kind of thing. Like so much again, mm. like especially again in shoujo, that the one number one number one value in the world is purity of heart and innocence and love mm-hmm. for your friends. Um, mm-hmm. Like yes, the love part in Sailor Moon is like fantastic, but and the, it is kind of like a cornerstone of like Sailor Moon. And in this case, like the first half of um, Emerald and Zagato's like whole story, it's the love that breaks the world. <laughs> Good mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. That's a great line. Um, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> it's true it's true in sailor moon it's true it's true in like utena yep. like this it is a love that mm-hmm, breaks the mm-hmm. world um i'm gonna hold up to that forever now holy shit um yeah. <laughs> good on writing that then. down the love that breaks the world um <laughs> <laughs> um but and it's and it's the power of friendship that kind of rebuilds it back up again like in a mm-hmm. way like yusagi as much as she is in love with mamaru and it's the the number one thing that like you know, keeps her, what keeps her powerful, though, is she is supported by her scouts, her guardians, and her friends. Like, mm-hmm. like, Mamoru is just a support. And technically, he's technically the guardian, even though there hasn't been any other mentions of, like, guardians that are um, uh, cis men <laughs> uh, in Sailor Moon. Yeah, like, right. I feel like Mamoru is, like, the only one at this point, but is the guardian of Earth. Like, he's still a guardian mm. who is the, and the central focus is Sailor Moon. Um, and and even in the second half of Magic Knights of Earth, like, Fu and Umi, I mean, they, and not, not to, like, set them aside or anything like that, they have their own agency and stuff, but, like, they grow more powerful in that, like, no, we're doing this together with Hikaru. Hikaru is who we right, love and who right. we care for, who we become powerful mm-hmm. for, and who we will follow and protect. Mm-hmm. And that what gives them their power mm-hmm. and their agency, and that is a powerful right. emotion, which is so life changing for me. Yeah, as a that's it. I'm all like, I want. Oh, for sure. I want to save the world with my friends. I, and I think you you bring up a really good point about the inter party dynamic. I mean, number one, at least in my experience, it's very difficult to run a. It's it's difficult for romance to show up at the table a little bit because you're hanging yeah. out with your friends and you're making fart jokes and stuff. It can be tough to be serious. It's a little bit easier with NPCs because you can kind of shunt some of that work onto the player. It's much more difficult to do with two players, I find, unless they have a pre-existing relationship yeah. outside the game. 
And in those cases, I found it's very easy for that to happen. And often, that's a fun thing, mm-hmm. as you experience, right? Couples yeah. do that, right? Like, but it's, also, it's like, a really I, fun, I want to set aside, basically... too, like, pre-existing relationship, even as friends. Like, if you have, like, if I have, like, say, a romance yeah, with, like, my yeah. BFF, who I've been BFFs with for a very long time and who knows me emotionally, I could definitely at least right. have that space to talk with him about, like, what if our characters, like, fell in love? How do you feel right. about this? Right, exactly. And then, right, then exactly. but that again requires a strong bond, regardless. Outside the right, table, right, right. And there's almost a level of there's almost some level of like dramatic yeah. irony to it because the players and the characters know have different levels of information and stuff, and that can be. But I think that's the fun. Like that, that's one of the fun things about all these tropes we're talking about. Like when the players know that the characters are experiencing some emotional connective. They, I mean, let's go back to the example of say two players who are in real life dating their characters are not don't know each other but like they've said above table we're trying to get them together and everybody at the table knows like isn't that the joy like you know these two characters are quite literally fated to be together because they're sort of above table you know sort of masters their players are moving them towards each other they can't escape the characters have no choice <laughs> right but that's fun it's fun for the table to see when that inevitable event happens that's so much fun it's it's a joy to know that they really don't have that much control in a sense and they may even fight it but they are inevitably going to be together i think taking some of that that's why I, I like the kind of emotional randomness and like suddenly compelled by each other. Like, I think there's some fun to like knowing, you know, it's almost like it's your time in the barrel. Like, Oh, why am I suddenly compelled by this random NPC? And everyone's like, ah, it's your turn to try to, you know, process some stuff about yourself, whether they end up falling in love or becoming enemies or just forgetting it. Cause they were just some passing fad. Like the struggle to deal with feelings is not that the ultimate show. <laughs> um, but, but with players, um, the romance element can be difficult to run. Um, again, I think there's got to be some, I think there's got to be a lot of acceptance of some exploration at the table and being okay with, okay, are we okay with this? Not okay with that. I think there's also an element there that's a really good place to include some blue booking is what we call it. I mean, now these days we would probably just do it via, you would just like, you know, DM or texture your, your game mm-hmm. master or something about some conversations they'd have with an NPC. But this is, um, I think Aaron Alston and his group coined the term blue booking because they used to write in these little blue books, but basically character notes and player notes, like keeping a log of your sort of off screen uh, character yeah, interactions with really NPCs great. and stuff like that. Yeah, um, they used to keep these little blue books, um, and that's why they call it blue booking. But we would just consider it, I think a lot of modern gamers now would just be like, hey, can we kind of DM and, and or can we text real quick and kind of, even if it's whether it's in character or not, kind of hash yeah. out some of these character yeah, dynamics? Yeah. You know, that's a good place for that to exist and then bring some of that into the table. And again, one of the joys, even if the, as a GM and as a player, like even if all the other players don't know what's going on, for that one player, when a certain character walks in the room, like for there to be some dramatic irony, some extra knowledge they're bringing to the table, we're like, oh, that's so-and-so, you know, like yeah. that's going to... Oh, oh, um, <laughs> My sorry, my my joystick uh, jumped off my table. I apologize. I love how it's like the dramatic, like <gasps> who is that? And it's like <laughs> as if your yeah. joystick, like that's my cue. <laughs> the Duke fight stick. I'm back. I didn't die in the <gasps> war. <gasps> and that means the Duchess. <gasps> oh, yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> a, a fighting <gasps> game stick with like a cape. Um, <laughs> Paul, but, Paul just uh, already built in. 
<laughs> it's just the rivets for the case. Um. <laughs> God, that's stupid. Um, but I think uh, so. One thing I think that helps. I've done this before. I have attempted to various degrees of success to run Power Rangers and Tokusatsu adjacent games before. One thing that I have had success with um, is doing what I call focus mm-hmm. episodes. So I've tried it a couple different ways where it's like, and it can get a little gamey, but I think if most people are, most people who are going to show up to the table for those kinds of games are okay with having some level of external, like forcing of the narrative um, and doing some mm-hmm. tropey stuff like that. Because Shoujo, you know, Magical Girl stuff, copies this i shouldn't say copies uses this trope as well like okay now we're focusing on hikaru now we're focusing on umi or what have you or now this is about foo like having it so that like i've done this before everybody at the start of the session rolls 2d6 and just tells me the number whoever rolled highest this episode is a focus on you so we really we you know and we maybe we come up with something or maybe i have a few pre you know maybe like i know the character backstories and i'm gonna like i'm I've got some for everybody, and it's like, oh, it's you. I'm going to roll it X through some of my notes here. Okay, that's going to be this conflict. So we're going to bring in some stuff that is specific to your character, and yet everybody at the table is playing and all this, but the adventure is really focused on you, some conflict in your past and something you need to resolve, some emotional clarity you need to find. And even if we all work together, like everyone at the table understands the spotlight is yeah. over you right now. And then after that, what I would do is either okay, now we're going to bounce over and have a session or two doing just general kind of group thing. And then when we come back to the folk, the, for another focused episode, I would basically just say, okay, you know, whoever has already had a focus episode, don't roll. Everybody else roll and I'll pick. And you eventually rotate around until everybody's had a focus episode. Um, And then, and you can keep bouncing to the team thing that I found works really well. Um, I haven't run those campaigns long enough to know how it works (laughs) long-term, but the, the 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 focus episode the idea that like right now we're zoomed in on you um i've had success with and i think that's a very useful way to try to mimic again tokusatsu does this a lot um but uh magical girls who whatever mo- most most i think genre works do this with a kind of yes. ensemble cast like this episode and i think it's actually easier as a gm sometimes to come up with villains specific to one player Mm -hmm. at your table, right? And when you do that, you can kind of get away with doing things you might otherwise not do, right? To use a D&D example of, like, never split the party. Oh, yeah. Like, when everyone understands that it's, like, you know, Cassandra, it's her spotlight episode and her character, you know, uh, Bea the Ranger, like... It, when she gets separated and the rest of us get blocked behind a wall and have to find out how to get to her and what she's doing is more interesting than anything we're doing. Like we're just trying to get there in time. Like everybody's a little bit more okay with that because everyone knows it's Cassandra's focus episode. Like we're, we're really zoomed in on her right now. And so she can kind of get more shine and there's less effort on the GM's part. I think sometimes, and it may not be as exciting for the other players, but then you, Next time it'll be somebody else's focus yeah. episode, or maybe a, a team, you know, a, a friendship episode. Okay, now everybody roll, and whoever's numbers are closest. We're doing a friendship episode for you two, and you two have to work out some conflict. And there's there can be some creative role play of like, okay, why would your characters get upset with each other, or what's a misunderstanding they might have, have to work through, come back to their friendship. What's the sitcom of this week? Yeah, yeah, and layer that in, 
And I think that is a way to mimic some of the story beats. Um, mm-hmm. And it can feel arbitrary. Like, I'm literally, I was like, we're doing a focus episode this week. But it kind of became, it, it became kind of fun in a way. Um, and everyone knew it. And that was fun. Everybody, most people who would show up to a Magical Girl game or, or you know, or Tokusatsu game or what have you, is probably okay with that to begin with. Like, they're here. Like, there's already a set of tropes they want to emulate. So I think as the GM, you can you can do that. Like, you can just be like, no, this enemy is actually tailored off of this one character this week, you know, or whatever. Um, so that's one thing that I would suggest, to mimic some of those kind of story beats, particularly. Um, and I think you can do that in really any game. Like, that, something like that is above the, the game itself. It can be, you know, you could be running Diceless. You could be running D&D. You could be running, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse. You could be whatever, right? Um but you have this sort of story beat mechanic to focus on a character or focus on two characters bonds or whatever that just to generate role play and to, to generate some excitement. Um, I would also farm some of that out to players. I think mm-hmm. um, again, I'm always, I'm always framing this like I'm the GM because that's what I expect to be in most scenarios. <laughs> um, I very rarely get to play um, except like in your game right now. Um, huh. But, that was the point. But uh, I would, you know, say like, hey, you know, like what what are some misunderstandings the team might have? Or like, hey, we're going to open on, um, you know, everybody except, you know, like say like, okay, Jason, your character isn't here yet. Everybody else, what are you doing and having fun is something that, you know, if Jason were to stumble in and find you doing it, he'd be upset he didn't get invited, right? Like try to farm some of that out to generate some of those. Cause those are kind of the classic yeah. teenage tropes. Like it's like, oh, you guys didn't invite me. Oh, I don't feel like I'm part of the team. Oh, you know, that kind of stuff. You can. <laughs> With those exact words and. Right. Yeah. They probably will say literally those <laughs> things because they're teenagers and run off. <laughs> um, and then dealing with the conflict and, you know, the monster of that week is, you know, the, uh, I didn't get invited to the birthday party monster, rawr, you know, or whatever. Um. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I just like as a cut to, I 100% wrote like uh, a Power Rangers fanfic that was almost like a Power Rangers script. Mm-hmm. And the monster of the week was that they were trapped in the mall. Oh, yeah. That kind of thing. And the monster was a transformed uh, credit card receipt. Mm, classic. A super yeah. long monster, I would imagine. Just yeah. miles long. Would like wrap, yeah, would wrap you. No, it was, like, it was not like, no, it was a credit card receipt machine. It was the machine. Oh, even more sinister. So like, yeah. Even so like the, the the screen like shows their actual face. They mm. dial with whatever like, you okay. know, they dial like yeah, uh, yeah. Um, on their body and the receipt would print out and that would like, <laughs> I want like weapons. <laughs> and they would have weapons and they would use the receipt paper to wrap everybody else in. <laughs> <laughs> and then like i think i wrote like the big they figured out it's like oh just grab the receipt and then so the party basically like grab or the team like grabbed the receipt and wrapped around the thing and that's how they defeated the monster the yeah, first time they got yeah. them stuck in a pole <laughs> with its own like receipt paper and did the bazooka blast <laughs> i had a great time oh i bet <laughs> I'm, and now i'm like ooh, i totally don't need to make that as an encounter yeah <laughs> Um. Yeah, so I think there's there's a lot of like you definitely want to lean into the sh- the genre trope stuff, um, 
especially mm-hmm. early on to really i mean you can think like we when we did that super senpai episode where i ran oh, yeah. the game for you and for pat and for mike um really lean into the tropes and get a lot of player buy-in you know help to have the players help design the cute mascot characters and stuff but i think the long-term play is going to come not even really from the mechanical depth or the, the the character growth and all that can be there but really the long term is going to be that the soap opera storytelling and in my opinion you need a way you need to both get player buy-in in terms of getting those emotional beats and hooks but you mm-hmm. also probably need a way again maybe my emotional passion dice aren't the best idea uh maybe it's everybody draw cards from the deck you know and if you get a suit or number matching the you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna place a card down here, and okay, the villain has the six of spades. Everybody draw cards. If you also get a spade, you hate them for some reason. If you get a six, you love them for some reason, and we have to work through those emotions. I don't know. You know, you want some way, I think, to generate random emotional um, story beats with right. NPCs and with villains and stuff. I mean, because again, like how I can't tell you how many games of D and D that I've had where you know when has a character ever fallen in love with the beholder they just want to kill it um <laughs> but you generating those kinds of compelling like oh my god i love dating sim beholder <laughs> for the monster manual <laughs> i mean wow i only have eyes for you and all my eyes are eye stalks that shoot magic beams or something <laughs> uh, <laughs> like you, let you... me wrap you in my tentacle eye <laughs> <laughs> but I think you no, need, yeah. I think you need some no way and again everybody you want everybody's buy-in and I think you need to have the option there particularly for players to reject and have their characters as that is also a teenage thing to work through something and be like nope I don't I, actually I don't really feel this way or I may have felt that way for a moment or maybe I just didn't understand that feeling but now I'm here but some way to generate emotional tension I guess you would say with mm-hmm. Random and NPCs, growth. yeah, and villains and stuff, and really explore those. Come up with that tension too, because that will propel long-term stories. I think, um, even even if it's something that, again, going back to the dramatic irony element, say a player, you know, their character for some reason randomly rolled in this new villain, they're in love with them, and they can't even they 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 can't tell the rest of the party, and they're like pulling their punches, or they're like. You know, they, they they play it off that like they're missing they're using like their worst powers and stuff and like they're they're missing intentionally, you know, it, even if it's just weird stuff like that. that. That would be the kind of teenage awkwardness that you're trying to emulate. Um, mm-hmm. even if it's not long term. And again, with the a lot of the caveats about being able to opt out, I think that would be a really good way to emulate some of the genre tropes because there's so much uncertainty in these, you know, coming of age stories. Why do I feel the way that I do? Why can I suddenly mm-hmm. do this? And we usually have that in terms of like a power element, like, oh, I developed a new fireball. Like that's, and that we're pretty okay with that. But I think with the right buy-in and with the right safety precautions kind of on the front end and player conversations, you could also do that on the emotional spectrum and like suddenly feeling compelled by other characters. Like I feel like there's a there's some rich opportunities there to randomly generate and kind of naturally through the course of play, some of that same soap opera drama that mm-hmm. really drives these stories and makes them so compelling to read. You know, I mean, again, like, yeah. like I was telling you. I mean, there's you, so much like, okay, go ahead. I was going to say, like what I was telling you, like as soon as Lantis showed up, oh, right? yes. I was like, oh my God. As soon as he walks into frame, you're like, oh, he's somebody's boyfriend before we close this out. Like, I, I know. <laughs> 
I know he is. And he's two people's boyfriend. Yeah, he's like he's part of an OT three. Like, come on. Like, yes. Like it's like, but as soon as he walks in the frame. He's, you know, this, you know, gorgeous, brooding, dark knight with the cape and everything. And it's like... And he's, like, the hotter brother because his hair is shorter. Right. It's like, how do you model that at the table? It can be really hard to verbally describe, you know, oh, a character walks into frame and all all the players are imagining it. It can be hard to be like... You know, what did you just say? Like, oh, he's super dreamy or something like that? Like, I don't know. I work for the three of you when I introduced <laughs> that one character. <laughs> That's true. Who our friend Pat immediately clocked. It's <laughs> that he did. Uh, but I think if you played with that and had an element of like. But, right. You know, having, you know, and again, whether it's actually actual attraction, maybe it's admiration, maybe it's hatred. But when when characters in the same way that they would in a stage play, when these characters walk in to sort of our collective narrative understanding, they have to garner strong emotions from the players. Mm, mm-hmm. And part of the reason that we know Lantis, like one of the reasons you know that Lantis is this like tortured dark knight is because he walks into frame in full black body armor with a long black cape. And a sad boy look on his beautiful face. So you know he's a tortured dark knight, right? Because like you can just tell the moment he get, he shows up. And I think you he's need... He's so dreamy. It's like so unfair. <laughs> it's unfair, right? Like, And like, I think you need... I think that even if it's through dice rolls, but it, like you need some way to sort of compel the table to immediately have an emotion, even if no mm-hmm. one understands why yet. And, yeah. you know, and it, it can be hard... At least I find with a traditional group with, with you know, your your average Friday night, let's get together, crack open the sodas and the potato chips and we're going to play some D&D kind of stuff. Like that, it can be hard to generate authentic emotions sometimes in those scenarios mm. because it's so mm-hmm. easy to just fall back into like, ah, we're just kind of goofing off and having fun. If you really yeah. want to model it, I think giving, giving players a little push and maybe eventually you wouldn't even need the dice maybe your players would just i have had superhero games i think one of my favorite moments ever in any tabletop game to give an example of one that i I don't think it always has to be compelled i think a really good group that really knows each other well and Mm -hmm. and is fully involved could just do it on their own which just randomly decide i'm suddenly going to be compelled and fall in love with this npc um Although I do think there's an issue there sometimes because maybe the GM didn't intend for the shopkeeper to, to be a long-running <laughs> character and suddenly you've compelled them to. But if there's this kind of understanding that every time I bring in a character, somebody may have a long-running thread with them, mm-hmm. positive, negative, whatever, um, there can be some buy-in there. But to, to use an example from a, a, a superhero game that I ran, um, it was clearly the last session. Like, so very clearly the last session. I pretty much built... like. This is the, the the big villain. I don't even remember what he was called. He was basically he was basically like something kind of like onslaught, I guess. He was just this like amalgamation of all these other power powerful characters in the setting, just unstoppably strong. And the only they couldn't defeat him. They couldn't you know expel him or destroy him or whatever. They 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 had to try to find a way some way to contain him. And what they ended up doing was like there was this um, living metal stuff that could like mold and shape or whatever and they tried to contain him in it but he kept breaking out and I I had kind of I had mentally built in some ways for them to solve the problem but I didn't quite solve it for them and the but everyone knew at the like it was so clear it was the last session we were playing one of the characters in the group he was a 
Dr. Graviton or something. He was like a gravity-based superhero. And he hadn't really been a super serious character. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, the player was using it for lots of lulls. Like just like, oh, I'm going to make all this stuff levitate or I'm going to make this stuff fall. Like he was totally goofy. But for whatever reason, he suddenly was like, Dr. Graviton will like, he will shape the metal into a cube and he will sacrifice himself. Because like the, the, the villain was clearly just going to keep breaking out. Even if it took him a long time, he was going to just keep breaking out of the metal stuff. He's like, he will sacrifice himself to empower the cube so that it has enough energy like to go forever and forever. He's basically splitting his own atoms to like empower it so that it could eternally keep like reforming and reshaping and keep him locked in this kind of like living, energized prison for all eternity and the world will be safe. And like it was this great moment and he was really solemn when we did it and the char- everybody at the table was really, really grim all of a sudden. It was just like this, mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, this character sacrifice. And But he could only really do that because he knew it was the last session of the game, like say, yeah. there was there was an above table understanding. Like we're done. We we're already kind of talking about what we're going to play next, and yet within that, he took that opportunity to, you know, you know, really have one of the best. It's so seldom campaigns get to end anyway, but probably one of the best moments in gaming, in, like that I'd ever really ever had. And I think mm-hmm. that has really informed a lot of how my play, particularly, that you need to have, like, I think the more above table you understand what's supposed to be going on, that can help players feel the freedom to follow through on some in-game stuff. And, like, when you, yeah. when you tell them those kinds of things, and it's like, you know, he knew it was the last session, so he did the big dramatic thing to end the comic book story. Like, amazing. Yeah. Terrific. That something I mean, that, that's what I was saying when even just like that jokey way i said like pat immediately clocked my hottie mccott hot character yeah important (laughs) just walking in in the way i described them but that's because pat knows me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. what my tastes are and what my like where who i'm resting because we've been friends for so long right and it's that above table understanding between Mm -hmm. everybody that allows for that space Mm -hmm. exactly why safety tools are important (laughs) y'all right (laughs) if you don't have that rapport like if you don't have that rapport yet even if you do have that rapport, it's in an above table understanding to, to yeah. create the freedom and the space that you're in. Exactly. And I and I obviously all of the everything that I've been saying is with the big asterisk of like always being clear where the lines are, always being clear to like, you know, maybe the initial emotion is forced, but always defer to player agency. But mm-hmm. again, my guess is anybody who's sitting down to try to emulate something like Ray Earth, right, is probably going to jump at those opportunities i would think like and then and and explore like okay for some reason you your character like it it, like the the grand vizier of the space temple will not (laughs) stop hounding your character like can we explore why that is why are they so compelled by you do you feel anything for them how do you let them down easy maybe you just rebuff them maybe rebuffing them sets off a big battle later you know like i think that most most players who would sit down to play ray earth would Eat that Who's up. the eagle vision in the story? <laughs> yes, like I think they would God. eat that stuff up. Um, yeah. Personally, um, yeah. again, it's not something I would randomly inject, inject into other games unless I was very clear on the other players. But like, I think most players would would love for that kind of stuff and would love to explore those kinds of things. And so, having some element of randomness, in the same way that, do we really need random combat with random damage? <laughs> no, but like 
having all that random stuff and a lot of it is very perfunctory and it's like oh yeah i'm rolling i get a 15 and oh i did nine damage but like man when you get a crit when the chips are down like yeah you know or like whoa mm-hmm. you rolled max damage for some reason like the way the dice can help inform narrative is really really vital and i think adding that in and in emotional dimension too to imitate again with everybody with the under, understanding that it's all soap opera stuff having it help generate that is is really really cool um in fact some of my favorite if you look at things like story dice there's like random storytelling stuff right like there's an element of you're limited by the dice but because they're random and they're going to come up with possibilities you might not have come up with there's a kind of joy in working that in and finding a way Mm -hmm. to make it make sense and we'll pro I mean, what is life if not trying to make sense of the random things thrown our oh way? Oh my god. Right? Um so I, I love think story dice. Yeah, like I think there's a way to you know, to come up with ways to 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 tell those kinds of stories. And to me, that matters more than statting out mecha or <laughs> statting out swords and fire and stuff. Like I feel like catching the emotional power of these stories. Yeah. And it will I think that kind of stuff will probably like how great is how great would it be if going into the final battle you know your character still has an unresolved love interest with the villain or with like their lieutenant or something like how much more drama would there be beyond the dice and beyond the world being on the line like how much more drama would there be right it's no different than you know luke and and vader over the pit right like you're my father and i don't want you to work for this evil man who's sitting two feet away laughing at us like the drama can really really affect the way players interact with the scene and what they're willing to do and i I think i think that's really the power that you'd want to try to get across more than the technicalities Mm -hmm. um and certainly ray earth itself i mean they talk about like you know even the what is it when um when they're coming in from the uh, autozam 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 yeah like when they're like even our technology is just you know manifestation of our will like mm-hmm. th- it's th- that psychic th- energy turn tech yeah it's all it's all brain energy and stuff and it's like it doesn't really matter all that much it looks cool um but as long as you have a way to keep the drama going mm-hmm. uh, i think that's that's really um interesting and i think also this to go back to power by the apocalypse one of my favorite power by the apocalypse games is actually called worldwide wrestling it's an amazing wow. game uh that models what it's like to run a wrestling promotion you know, all your players are wrestlers, and the GM is basically like the the Vince McMahon, basically of the of the the wrestling. And there's a there's this wonderful meta multi layering going on because it's like you're playing wrestlers, and they have to wrestle in the ring, and like winning like winning the match is part of the game. But there's a lot of the game that's about like you know, cutting a promo backstage, you know, when you fought in this match, did your character actually get hurt in real life? Right. Or like, Mm -hmm. and you play, you play these roles in the promotion. Like right now you're the baby face right now. You're a heel. This character is the veteran in the promotion. Oh, this character is like an ace. This character is like the up and comer, all that kind of stuff. And like the way you move around and like the, the, the GM as the, the production manager will like, like say, okay, this fight is booked to end a certain way. And some, Char- I mean, they're, they're called playbooks, right? But like some characters are better at changing the game master's booking than others. Mm-hmm. Like, can be like, no, actually, actually, I'm going to win this fight. 
And that kind of like meta struggle between like I'm a player playing a wrestler who's someone who's playing a role in a promotion and the like constant tension of like trying to meet certain expectations and defy expectations, sometimes for the better of the sort of the, the promotion, sometimes for the betterment of yourself. I think having that tension between like here's what's supposed to happen and then like defying what's supposed to happen. Right. Makes the game so interesting and compelling. Which is really, very Magic Knights Ray Earth. Right, exactly. Very much in this kind of op, like soap opera, you know, shoujo comic book kind of vibe. It's like Destiny says one thing and some characters are better at defying it than others. And like really the fighting, the wrestling, if you will, doesn't really factor into it. I mean, it does factor in and it looks great, but there's really a lot more that 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 tension between what's supposed to happen and like defying fate and all that kind of stuff. And maybe you frame it like that. Maybe the like random emotional stuff is like, these are the strands of fate. And like suddenly your fates are entwined and you have to like work through that. <laughs> um, like I think there's, I think there's a lot of richness there if you could work out something that everybody's comfortable with ultimately. And that would help you model Ray Earth better than check out these rules for this cool mecha, which I mean, mecha rules are always cool. Um, but hey yeah I think oh, another man. route you could go mm-hmm. um, maybe a game like Lancer which is very exp- like I think a lot of people when they think of Ray Earth obviously they're thinking Isekai and they're thinking the um, the magical girl element but the mecha are definitely show stealers yeah. for sure um, a game it's, like it's Lancer the mecha is the uh, is essentially for Ray Earth in particular it's the yeah. it's the ping that sets Ray Earth apart from saying yeah. other Isekai shoujo. Sure, sure. Because like you have Escaflo- I mean, yeah, and same thing with Escaflone too. Yeah, yeah. The the people are like, ooh, it's got Mecca. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I think it's like could, different. <laughs> you could run something like Lancer, even though Lancer has a pretty strong assumed setting. Lancer is designed to handle mechs in a way that is pretty gamey, uh, because it's very much based on D and D four E, which is a very game first mm. system. There's mm-hmm. lots of, you know, there's lots of just gamey kind of powers. Like, oh, this is this draws aggro from certain enemies. And, you know, this has a cooldown of three turns or whatever. Um, and you can come up with whatever narrative stuff you want. But the, the, the game itself is very front and center. Um, but that very much is meant to model mecha. And like most games, I think, that do that well, it's like, okay, the real meat of the rules is running the robots. And then the outside the mecha stuff is, there's some rules for it, but it's all kind of hand-wavy. It's not super, mm. super detailed because you're not meant to really be out of them too much. You're, like, you're going to have story scenes and stuff. But even that kind of mission structure, like you're going to have, you could even be as explicit as having, you know, episodes. Like this episode, we're going to have a scene before the battle, the battle, a scene after the battle. Like you could do that kind of stuff, I think. Um, and that, that would be one way to do it for if you really wanted to latch onto the mecha parts specifically. Because a lot of people do. And with good reason. The mechs are cool. Um, <laughs> You would just need to rework it because obviously Lancer is set in a science fiction kind of setting. Yeah. Um, you would have to say, oh, well, this isn't my, you know, GX11 auto rifle. It's my. This is my uh, Rune God series. <laughs> yeah, my this is my uh, Rune Lance uh, and it fires uh, hope beams from, the, you know, like you just, you'd have to come up with ways to sort of. Um, change Flavor out some of the descriptors. On, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but I, I, mean, I think you definitely could. Because, like, the, again, the second half of, well, the second half of the first part of Ray Earth is a mecha battle. And then the, basically the all the entire second half mm-hmm. of Ray Earth are all mecha battles. 
Right, exactly. You're, so. you're basically fighting um, the other country's mm-hmm. projections in mm-hmm. their own, you know, psychic battle. One just ha- one looks like an illusion of her younger sister. The other one is to Jin. Right, um, right, exactly. I think there's also um, you could probably get away with this. Is something that I've mentally toyed with, but I haven't tried in practice. Mm-hmm. One reason that people use D and D for everything is because a lot of people are familiar with D and D. Even people that don't like D and D are usually pretty familiar with it. So I think what you could do is maybe try to, you could just be like, okay, yeah, you built a fighter or a wizard or whatever, but that's your mech. Mm-hmm. And when you're outside of the mech, you don't have any of your skills or abilities or spells or any of that. All that stuff is the mech. If you have to make any checks outside of the mech, you're just rolling and adding like your strength or your con mod, right? You're basically just the six stats. Yeah, yeah. The, the benefit there being that the... And then you would just describe, okay, my battle master fighter is actually like a, a you know, a, a knight mech that has like a, a commanding banner and I can shoot magic out that makes things happen. So like, I think you could still retain, you could still just flavor it all with descriptors and you'd have to probably change a few little things here and there, but you would retain the familiarity and then just change all the descriptors in combat to being like mecha scale. Mm-hmm. And you'd probably want to come up with some, you know, you would want to change monsters like, okay, they're not actually going to fight a goblin. This is like a, a little hunchback mech or something that they're fighting. And if they actually encounter any quote-unquote goblins, they're just like a regiment they can squish. Um, again, <laughs> you want players to have that scale. I think the downside mechanically to that is that it's it's both a boon and a bane. It's like you would do that because your players are familiar with a certain system and you don't want them to have to learn a whole other game because yeah. that can be frustrating for some people the same time they may be so familiar with it it could be really hard to be like i have played a level one fighter many many times and i'm yeah we're describing it as a mech but i'm still like a level one fighter guy like i i I know what i've played this before mechanically so some of the allure may be lost but that's an option i think that you could explore i mean how how hard would it be to be like oh my wizard with the spells like they're not spell slots those are just how many missiles i have in the missile bay Mm-hmm. you know to shoot magic missiles at people literally magic missiles right like i could fire <laughs> and it blows up and shoots like full robotech like swirling magic missiles. yeah right like <laughs> um shooting out like color spray and stuff that's just like the strobing lights on the front of my mac and i don't know yeah you know, i think or you could <laughs> you could do it option. like the way my uh mike my mike high school mike did for me, where it's not necessarily even a mech, it's just my one summon of a literal dragon sure. with their one breath weapon. Sure. Rifts, oddly enough, it, I mean, it's not a good... It's a great game. It's not a good game. It is a great game. Um, it, it does have... I mean, that's one of the advantages. You have characters that have, like, robots. You know, you mm-hmm. can be a glitter boy or whatever, and it wouldn't be, I don't think, super difficult to, to model some of that. Or, like you're <laughs> saying, do it as a summon. Um, Rifts is not really a game known for its balance. Um, <laughs> it's a game that's known for just like anything goes uh, and some kind of wild stuff going on there. But um, yeah, are there yeah, story do... beats in like, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, as we're kind of like wrapping things down um, and talking about adapting magical girls and shoujo genre um, in, into like a game, a campaign. Are there like story beats that you found in Magic Knights Way Earth that would really resonate or would you want to put in maybe say something like our home game? Okay, so one thing that comes <laughs> to mind for me is that um I think if I were to run 
a sort of traditional D&D style game, but want to incorporate some rare, you know, dropping the mecha for a second. Mm-hmm. I think instead of races as a game tool already have plenty of baggage we need to, to work around to begin with, but maybe reshape them instead. Um, it's like, okay, you know, you're not elf, dwarf, human, whatever. It's like you are outsider, like real world person brought in. That has a certain, mm. like, some stat bonuses and some skill packages with it. Or you are, a, like, native to this realm that has certain bonuses and skill packages associated with it. Or you are, like, a construct or a magical, you know, creature or what. Like, in, instead of it being, like, quote-unquote race, it's like, yeah. what's your what's your relation to the realm, right? Are you a, a modern person isekai'd in? That, you know, if you're that yeah. kind of person, you have these bonuses and skills or whatever and this knowledge and if you are native to it you have these kind of bonuses and skills or whatever. and that way you can have a, a party that's even like mixed like oh some of us are from another world some of us are native here some of us are mascot characters or you know whatever um that would be one it's way really i think god. you could you could do it yeah <laughs> some of us are secretly gods um um i think one thing that really strikes me and this this is probably more my sailor moon background a little bit but like because um, there's all that stuff with like um, Usagi and um, oh, what's this Tuxedo Mask's name? Mamoru. Um, Mamoru. Like, there's a lot of stuff with them like not remembering each other, right? Yes. Because like in past lives they were whatever. Like, I think one of the interesting, like you mentioned, he's the guardian of Earth, right? Yeah. Um, but he's like the only kind of male guardian, at least. The, yeah, the, cis uh, male uh, guardian. Yeah. Yes, yeah, cis male guardian. Um, so I think it'd be interesting if you could you could pull in some dynamics where like. And again, this is one of those things like above table deciding on something as a group and then bringing that tension into the character's fiction. But like, what if you were like, okay, the paladin and the um, the sorcerer, right? Like, paladin, you are the sorcerer's guardian. Like, there's no, there's no mechanical thing there, but like, you two are like bonded by fate. Like, you could bring that in, I think. Yeah. And really play with that kind of like um and you see that trope a lot you know we saw it in lotos right with um the barbarian and um um the uh the the the, there was like the barbarian guy and the girl that was always with them and they were kind of like a pair or like Mm -hmm. you know uh, deedlin and parn or ashram and puritess like having characters that are just like a a, you know this is a set do not separate um (laughs) and whether that's something that's like they're you do see that sometimes like, oh, I'm so-and-so's bodyguard, you know, for this quest. But I mean, maybe make it a little more really, really dr- dramatize that a little bit. Like, oh, that would like, play into, <laughs> I want to play this game. That would play yeah. into my everything I ever want. <laughs> yeah. Like when it's like, how great would that be for his players to be like, to have that pressure even like, I'm supposed to like cosmic, like on like a cosmic level, I'm supposed to defend this person, but I don't, I don't really feel like I even know them all that well. Yeah. And then like, as your characters grow over time, do they reject that fate? Do they grow deeper into that fate? Like, there's a lot you could really pull on there. Mm-hmm. And that kind of underlying tension, again, of these, like, big emotional hurdles that the characters aren't quite sure how to process yet. I think that's one thing I would try to draw in mm-hmm. and really make that a part of it. Um, well, I mine, like mine, the, mine um, was the obvious one that I pulled from Ray Earth, is our evolving weapons from yes. Or. Which I knew Which is, as you were reading Rayearth, I'm like, he's gonna know. <laughs> yeah, my goodness, our campaign page for page. I, look, I have I have shamelessly ripped off 
uh, all kinds of anime when running running my games uh, and not really been all that subtle about it. So you you believe me, you're doing better than I was when I when I first started game yeah. mastering. I stole yeah, because I uh, love the Escudo. Like I love mm-hmm. the storyline from Rare. The fact that they went the quest was to find the ore first, and like all things, the ore responds to you, Matt. Like to your strength of will, mm-hmm. and I don't mean um, the most well known. I mean Critical Role is like the zeitgeist right now. Right. Sure. Of of immediate shows but they had a little thing called the vestiges of divergence which is a a, a growing weapon item that has mm. an awakened and an exalted form and it's up to the game master to decide when those things happen depending on either mm-hmm. story beats or whatever or whatever it is and mm-hmm. i love that mechanic so much mm-hmm. it's very it's very <laughs> it's very japanese rpg in that sense you have a uh, right a weapon that grows with you and in this case i love the idea that escudo is both weapon and armor that grows with yeah you. and again again you're totally right it's very like power rangers tokusatsu this thing evolves but i think it's a really compelling thing in general anyway like i mean you think about okay you know aragorn right like no oh, yes the shards of narsil to become anduril flame of the west right like a weapon that grows with you or even frodo like or in Bilbo, like growing to understand what the ring is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh, RPG that I'm quite fond of, Earth Dawn, uh, tries to make sense of a lot of, or at least it did when it came out 30 years ago. It was it was new once upon a time. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it tried to wrestle with a lot of D&D's tropes and try to make sense of them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the mechanics I really like from that is the idea of legend, that not only do you grow in your legend, but so does your weapon. And like you invest oh, yeah. sort of your legacy and your weapon sort of levels up and powers up with you. Because it's something I never really enjoyed about D&D, one of the tropes. And this, is, this isn't always the case, but it's like, look, I've got my plus one scimitar. It's my like de facto weapon. But then I, if I get a plus two scimitar, I probably am just going to throw this other plus one in, the, in my caddy-o items and pick up the plus two item and never use that other one again which is fine but it it can be hard to like square the circle of like this legendary weapon that is big like what if captain america dropped the shield and picked up a gun like ah it's time for my gun now you'd be like but the shield was iconic like that was your thing right like you do kind of want a weapon to grow with you thor and his hammer right like you you kind of want a weapon to grow with the character um arthur pulling the sword from the stone and and all that um (laughs) gotta find another one (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I'm always, I'm just always coming up with them. Um, but like, and very magical, girl, right? That the, the, not only do the, does the weapon, it, like, literally, is like evolving with you. Like, I think um, as the GM, one thing you can do and, and work with the player is, is like, you're not always trying to just go open treasure chests and pick up better weapons off the ground mm-hmm. and loot them. Like, your weapon can grow and change with you, and maybe we can come up with some system for. You know, like suddenly a new rune appears on the edge of your blade, and like, ah, oh, you know, you yeah. realize it has this power. Like, it, like that. I think growth, because that can help symbolize character growth. It makes you grow that much more attached. Mm-hmm. I love doing that kind of stuff because then if you like take the weapon away from them, like they lose it after a battle or something, like they will do anything to get it back, and it can become its own drama or whatever. Yeah, but love that. Just this, like the symbol of like you know the weapon and the self, and as an extension of the character and it growing and changing. I think there's a lot more ownership there and more, I think it has more meaning than just, okay, you get a better weapon and you replace it. Like, mm, just doesn't feel, 
it doesn't feel right, I don't think. Yeah. You know. It's for me, anyway. Um, oh, another story beat that I would definitely steal from this is now that you've slain the big bad, uh, okay, everybody's jockeying to... The big bad was, in some way, a, a pillar or a cornerstone of existence. Mm-hmm. And that maybe maybe you come up with some justification for it. Like, well, they had to be the villain because if they were the villain, they would inspire others to be good. But now someone else must take that. Like it's almost like a preordained role. Someone has to be the villain, mm-hmm. right? Someone has to be the cornerstone. Someone has to be Arthas, or, right? Yeah, yeah. Someone has to take up that role. Otherwise, yeah. you know, everyone will be evil. This inspires us to be good. Or you know, now the crown is maybe it's like the Dragon Balls, right? Like you defeat them, and the crown shatters into ten pieces, and whoever can collect them all, they become the next shaper of reality. Then you have people from like across the multiverse scrambling to try to get those shards or, or whatever. There's a couple mm-hmm. different ways you could do that. But having the fallout of the victory over the big bad be, you know, again, the succession war, right? The fight to see who mm-hmm. who is the next um, the next one to wear the crown, so to speak. Um, I think that's a really compelling story beat. Um, and you can, there's plenty of examples, right? Um, historically and in fiction and stuff like, you know, uh, Alexander the Great, right, and famously oh, God, his yeah. his whole thing collapsing and the and all these the what or are just they, the like states. the Roman Empire collapsing. <laughs> yeah, and like, did it ever really collapse? Right, but you yeah. know, all these people vying for the title and who's claiming to be so and so, right? Yeah, um, you can take examples from death of Batman or Superman or whatever, right? The battle for the cow, the battle for the cape, and all these pretenders popping up and. There's there's lots of really compelling fun to be had with a a pillar of the of the setting is no longer there but they they leave an imprint or an outline right like it, they still have to be dealt with even in their even when they're gone and that can really how the players respond to that I mean you can really open the world up to them maybe one of them wants to take it up maybe they mm-hmm. want to make it so that no one ever has to take it up again like there's there's some real heavy consequences there yeah um, that can lead to some pretty memorable roleplay, I think, no matter what game you're running. And it also, like, I'd love the idea, again, of, like, the world will continue to move on and the consequences mm-hmm. of your actions in this world, like, reverberate. Mm-hmm. Just like in real life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> will reverberate in, in, yeah. in, in small and big ways. And I, I love that. I would also go so far as to say to do that earlier rather than later. Yes. Um, as a game master, you want long, like I, I personally, I love long campaigns, but life happens and they fall apart and what, you know, whatever. And so many campaigns end far too early before they feel like they really have paid off. Mm. So, you know, maybe let them destroy the big bad earlier than you might otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, really open things up like that. Um, I think that could be a, a bit, and I, I mean, I think players will remember that even if the game were to fall apart not long after, like they would remember like, Oh, we had to deal with the consequences of winning. Yeah. Right? Like that yeah, would yeah. be a um, pretty big deal. I think for a making player. a quick note for us in the future. <laughs> oh no. Next week. <laughs> ah! Oh, right. We are playing next week. <laughs> yeah. Ah! Um, but yeah, so that's definitely another element. Um, also, this is a, a simple one. It's a silly one. Mm-hmm. But mascot characters, 100% work. <laughs> um, dopey, goofy mascot characters that the everyone uh, is kind of like invested in. 
I think are terrific. Um, yeah. I, I will use true. an example that is going to sound ridiculous. Uh, I we used to play a lot of Deadlands back in the day, mm. which is like um, uh, kind of a weird West setting. Um, I had a character who was this like goofball, like prospector miner who just happened to know like miner with an E, like he liked to I understand. For, for gold. So, okay. He wasn't like a kid. Um, but I don't, I don't even remember his name anymore. I think it was Willie. I can't remember. Of course but it would he, be. He was basically, um, um, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, um, hold on a second. We'll have to get this in editing. I have to get this in post. Um, <laughs> hold on. I gotta, I gotta, what is, uh, uh, what is his name? What is his name? Why can I not think of it right now? No. Don Knotts. That's who I was thinking of. So I basically just voiced him like Don Knotts. I was just always like, like, you know, just like this very over the top, like very like parody kind of voice. And he was just a goofball. He didn't really contribute much to the party other than helping them figure out where to go he was always getting in trouble. Anytime a gunfight would break out, he would manage to get, you know, he would become a hostage or he would accidentally like bumble into like water barrels and spook the horses. And you know, it was always something. He was always getting into trouble. But the, the the players, I mean, they they groaned a lot, but they also loved him. They loved him as a mascot character mm. for the group because he was such a goofball. Um, and having like, a, and obviously, Mokono is a, a different sort of mascot. Yeah. But I mean, y- having a character, having an NPC that everyone is kind of invested in the well-being of, but doesn't really steal the show from the, the players, mm-hmm. can be a real good way to bring the party together. Um, and it can be one of those great sources of bonds and tensions, because maybe the mascot is, oh, at night, the ma- you know, the little cutesy mascot rodent that everyone loves likes to snuggle in so-and-so's sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. And then during the day, they steal food from so-and-so at lunch, and they can't stand them. And, oh, you get back here with my food. You know, that those kinds of little story bits and little character moments can, they, they for whatever reason, they punch way outside their weight glass in terms of making the characters feel like a unit, yeah. in terms of making the characters feel like they have, like, a group investment. You, you know, even if it's just, how do you react to the cutesy merchandise mascot character, like that can be like a group exercise that can help tie a group together really well. Um, obviously, Mokono, everybody loved uh, uh, loved him in this, but um, that I, still, just like the the group was always thinking about or worried about, you know, what is it doing? It was always getting into some kind of hijinks and saying, boo, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like suddenly, oh, why is the gem changing colors <laughs> on their forehead? Like that's, oh, there's, there's so many opportunities there as a GM to use them. I mean, God, when the mascot character is in danger, your characters will do, you know, if they're invested in them, they will do anything to protect that character mm-hmm. more than they would for characters who are technically like their family and stuff in the fiction. Like I, I you, you don't <laughs> like they will do anything to protect a mascot. They care about that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's there. That's another opportunity there that in any game, having a fun little mascot character that the group is invested in is a great way to, to help the group feel bonded yeah. and to insert your insert yourself in the group without doing the GM NPC problem where it's like, Oh, 
you know, a, a level eight character joins the group and you're all level five and it's just cooler than all of you guys or whatever. Um, but <laughs> but having a character I will group... say that it also has to happen organically. I feel like you yeah. have to be able to like give like you as a D, as the GM needs to be able to, you know, give the options of different like mascot characters to drop wherever oh, sh- it feels yeah. like. And then mm-hmm. and it, it, let it be the most throwaway nonsense you can think of. And then whatever yeah. your players get attached to, that's it. That's who they are. And I, then you can uh, have that opportunity to change it into something more. I don't know if it's something in the air or in the water. I don't know. I basically have two kinds of groups. And the the, <laughs> the, the least common one is the ones that just don't care. Yeah. The most common one is the ones that, like, if they encounter a creature, they want to collect that Pokemon. Like, they want <laughs> every pet in sight. Oh, like, my God. Most... Most of my games end up having just this like menagerie of pets and side <laughs> characters, and it's just like I mean they just they have to have them. There was one um, party I was like I was playing in, and my my DM she came up with like the cutest voice for this baby Aracroca, Aracroca, <laughs> the little bird. Say that three like, times. BB. Fast. Oh God, yeah, this little cute bird BB. <laughs> And she, mm-hmm. like, use, like, a nasal nose, like, would speak really <laughs> nasally, and, like, would talk like this, and, like, with a little uh-huh. bit. And I, I don't know if I was just, like, me being the cleric and trying to wrestle, like, my herd of cats, but I kept trying to get the rest of ours, like, guys, we cannot kidnap this baby. This baby belongs to someone. <laughs> we are not going back. Like, because, like, our rogue kept teach our warlock rogue kept teaching, like, this kid, because they're, um... Is there a Kenku's? It's like, t- kid, I'll teach you how to like live through the world. <laughs> and then, like, was teaching. Kid, you ever like, seen a dead body? Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Just trying to like, and kept going throughout like any session we have. Like, we're going back for that baby. We're like, we're not going oh, right. back for this baby. I'm telling. Some players have a compulsion. They have to have them. So I, I think it's much easier to get them a mascot, especially if you make it appear natural like that. Yeah. Like introduce all these little fun little critters and pretend like you don't want to join. The players will. Try to abduct, abduct them immediately, and then you've got your just drop a good voice. Your, yeah, because it a was silly it voice. was that stupid, so like really like nasally and like really curious yeah. about everything that we have to say. I was like, oh my mm-hmm. god, I love this child, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want them to come. She will die. <laughs> don't touch it. The mother won't take it back. Like <laughs> yeah, like we are about to go on a heist. We cannot bring a baby. <laughs> what are we doing, little? Little baby Bjorn, yeah, uh, on your heist. Like we are not doing this, but oh my god! Yeah, but again, party mascots like that, huge win. I've I've not had a bad experience with that kind of thing. Players love it, (laughs) and it's a way you can use them to break up tension in a scene. Mm -hmm. You can use them to help reveal information to the PCs in a way that feels very natural and very in fiction. You know, like Pikachu and Ash, right? Like Pikachu is often just a little bit smarter than than the average bear as it were and can help you know suss out information or or you know they react when a bill a villain comes emotionally in crying and slapping a clone of yourself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's there's a lot of opportunities there too with a little mascot character and then later if you want to have them become god and like eat the world you can do that too yeah um that's always a fun twist god that was but uh what great yeah so i think uh, was, there, was there anything we've 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 covered quite a bit yeah. with Ray Earth. Um, There's so much in there. I mean, you could. I mean, both yeah. academic, like literary analysis wise, and like what you can pull from it, game mechanics wise. Because mm-hmm. again, it, for mm-hmm. me, it all like it all started 
both with somebody, you know, shout out to, I will, the all girls school. Shout out to Riff's like, Mike. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Riff's Mike and even like the going back to all. Oh, and like, Choir freaking, Senpai. Yes, Choir Senpai. <laughs> who had like the wherewithal to like, this is a dope ass story that there's your so mm-hmm. your imagination will run wild with it and it's it's mm-hmm. and it's it's not like a super it's not like a you know shout out to one piece like hundreds of chapters long right yeah <laughs> thing that's been going on for 20 years like mm-hmm. and clamp in general clamp series are fairly short and they do have like a bit of a shared universe no moment but then that's only if you're able to read all these other short stories mm-hmm. it's a really good um mm-hmm. it's just a really fun you know story beat investment in the matter of technically what was supposed to be only six or rather yeah six volumes mm-hmm. that's have a weekend it's quite a bit yeah yeah right yeah have a it, weekend and have ideas through. for your campaigns and your games yeah you're gonna take something away from this i think mm-hmm. that- to, to bring to a home game whether it's the whole game or just part of it yeah, yeah or even definitely. the way you describe like the flourishes of mm-hmm. things because like umi casting a water spray that shape of a dragon that chomps is dope oh yeah Mwah. jeff's kiss just, just beautiful gorgeous it's just there, there's your challenge as we take take it away and wrap things up take mm-hmm. a if you want to know how to cast magic, describe open a magic knight's way earth and describe what you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll that's get that's it. how you that's how you do a fireball. That's how you do an ice bolt, right? That yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm well another, super another happy. good discussion. I'm super happy you finally got yeah. into magic knights yeah. and dipping your toes into shoujo and magical girls. Yeah. It's a fun I love world. It. The water's fine, right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for hanging out with us, y'all. We'll see you in the next one. See you next time. Bye.